Do you know someone struggling to figure out their mental health benefits? The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office is here to help. Find us at insurance.ohio.gov slash G-E-T-M-H-I-A or call us at 855-438-6442. Don't wait. The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office can help you figure out what mental health insurance benefits may be in their plan. Call us today at 855-438-6442. Legend has it, underneath the NJM Insurance Offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten, moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at njm.com. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. I'm so excited to begin Mormonism Part 4. Yeah! You know, it's kind of, I imagine, the same amount of excitement what it'd be like sitting completely nude Ooh. on a marble oxen. Cold. Right? You're in the <laughs> temple. You've never been in there before, so you might be, like, kind of suppressing a chub. Of course. Because <laughs> also you're totally nude. So right. maybe the cold is making your penis a little bit smaller, but also could provide a lot of excitement. Yeah. And then you're sitting there waiting for the anointment. And then your daddy comes in. <laughs> and your daddy that made sure you're such a good, tight little Mormon, a oh good my. boy, a your good... literal daddy. Your actual father comes in. This isn't in. like a kink.com daddy. This no. is your father. This is dad. This is father. <laughs> this is Mr. Kissel. This is banked Kissel. Well, we don't have to hit it so close to he home, do we? He comes in there and he wants to make sure your penis is so clean for God. Oh, right. It has to be clean for God because you gotta meet God who's not even God. God's a dude. Right. God's just a guy. Well, why does up he, in heaven. Why does he care if my penis is clean? Because it's gotta be clean. Because <laughs> if not, you don't get to be a king of your own planet, Kissel. So in order for you to be a king of your own planet, your daddy has to wash your penis and balls. Uh-huh. And then you gotta turn around and old banked has gotta clean your butthole till it is so <laughs> So pristine. Uh-huh. So it's like not unlike the alabaster marble of the oxen that you've probably stained with your butt juice. Oh, All right. Well, you know what? Let's just start the show. This is the last <laughs> podcast on the left. How is everyone doing? I am Ben with Marcus hey. and with Henry, and we are coming to you live from beautiful, foggy London. Yeah, buddy. I am shitting liquid. Good, good. <laughs> which I guess is called the breakfast tea here. Absolutely. Um, I had a bit of that. L- my wife loves it. You got a bit of the warm <laughs> Guinness runs. I actually feels like it's more of the Guinness squat walks. Oh, isn't that something? <laughs> All right. We are on to Mormonism part four. So, when we last left Joseph Smith, he was still splitting his time between Cartland, Ohio, and Missouri, building the foundations for a religion whose membership today roughly equals that of the populations of New York City, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Remember that as we go into detail of how this religion was founded. And in Kirtland in particular, Joseph Smith was trying to build an honest-to-God temple. Three stories of stone with two auditoriums and 12 pulpits, because a man of God without a house of worship was just a common street preacher. It's like if Stephen Tyler didn't have a mic stand, he'd right. just be a grandmother with a lot of scarves. I understand, sure. 
and by 1836, the temple was damn near finished. But Joseph had made a slight miscalculation. Although the temple had helped establish his new religion as legit, he had also attached a ballsy prophecy to the end of its construction. I thought you were going to say he forgot to put in bathrooms, which that would be what I would call a construction blooper. But they got the big bathtubs. You just shit in the bathtub, and then you smush it all down the drain. You remember, Kessel. Of course. Well, in order to get his people motivated, Joseph had told his congregants that the completion of the temple would coincide with the establishment of the city of Zion. But the Missouri Mormons were still scattered, and nasty rumors were starting to swirl in Kirtland that threatened to ruin Joseph Smith. If you remember from last episode, they got kicked out of Jackson County, and a part of the caveat of that was that you guys can come back, but you have to buy your land at double the price. Mm. What Joseph Smith said basically was that, I promise you guys, I guarantee, that's with a G-A-Y, that I will make that money and we will get the money as soon as this temple is erected. Yes, Mm -hmm. as soon as the Missouri Mormons take on the Harlem Globetrotters, (laughs) it'll be a $50 ticket and dare I say... We're going to lose. <laughs> well, it wasn't just the temple that was hanging over Joseph's head. As I said, there were a lot of nasty rumors swirling around Cartland, Ohio. Seeds thought that it was in this place in 1835 that the first seeds of polygamy were planted, mm. all because Joseph Smith was just a little too horny for his own good. <laughs> I think Aren't that's a great analogy. <laughs> it's a good way to put it, the first seeds of polygamy, yes. Yeah, we're just fucking placed so deep by the <laughs> d- dirty f- Fingers of Joseph Smith. (laughs) See, in that year, many think Joseph made 17-year-old Fanny Alger his first plural wife. I love the term plural wife. Yeah. Because it's so much better than, like, sister wife. Like, plural wife sounds like the government, like, made you have it. (laughs) Right. Sounds like Michael Keaton's character in Multiplicity found a female who also had multiplicity, and then they had a whole bunch of sex. That's a good... Hotel document. Yeah. (laughs) Well, plural wife, at the very least, is how the affair with Fanny Alger was later justified. See, Fanny was an orphan girl taken in by Joseph Smith's wife, Emma, because... You could say whatever you want about the Mormons. At the very least, they did actually adhere to many of the teachings of Jesus Christ that so many of his so-called followers conveniently ignore today. Hold on a second. Are we talking about Joseph Smith or are we just are we talking about Woody Allen? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the exact same story of Woody <laughs> Allen? Are both creative powerhouses okay. that really defined the sex symbol for a generation. <laughs> he showed if you just raise a wife, oh my, you're gonna make a great husband. Yikes. So it was while Fanny was staying with the Smiths that Joseph seduced her and began a brief affair. But when the whole affair went sour, Fanny was driven out of the church for good. And some of Joseph's longest serving followers were none too happy about this. Among the most vocal of dissenters was Oliver Cowdery, who had been one of the original translators of the Golden Plates. Oliver was excommunicated for criticizing Joseph for the affair, even though Cowdery said he saw Joseph and Fanny fucking. Joe Ah didn't really appreciate the fact that you made me watch. <laughs> you loved it when we did the we did the London Bridge. Oh, oh was it falling down? And then we did the Eiffel Tower with that guy I met, with Harvey. You remember the fence fixer? Then we did the Guinness Fountain. Yikes. 
But although Fanny Alger's role in history was later rewritten to say that she had actually been Joseph's first plural wife rather than just a teenager he seduced, Joseph was still spurred to revelation by this incident. Ooh, him and Chuck Berry. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to hear the star report on this affair. <laughs> In November of 1835, God supposedly told Joseph that Mormon wives were commanded to essentially let their husbands do whatever they wanted. The revelation read, in part, Hear this, (laughs) y'all. This is straight, legit. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. And also, I'd like to add, women be shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like something Dr. Dieter Laser would say to three people before he makes them a human centipede. It's just weird that you could just, like, fuck a 17-year-old that was your daughter, Mm -hmm. and uh, everyone gets all fucking mad about it. But then you can just tell them, I had a one-sided conversation with God who told me it was super cool. Isn't that weird? And we have to do it. (laughs) Now you gotta fucking do it, too. Like, you don't want to fuck all these children around here, buddy. Yeah. Like, you don't. Right. In other words, Joseph was starting to figure out that it was much easier and much more convenient to change the laws of marriage than it was to tomcat around his congregations and, more importantly, his wife's back until the day he died. So this is the power of the male erection. (laughs) It was easier to change his whole religion than to keep it in his pants. There's a lot of people that do maybe believe that this has something to do with some kind of, some form of Kabbalic teaching that he understood, but Mm -hmm. I'll get into it in a little bit more detail later on. Okay. But polygamy was not just created to justify Joseph Smith's shrinking attraction towards his chosen wife, Emma. (laughs) Oh, you think that this is just because Emma got all mad all the time? I think polygamy was really he just didn't want to fuck Emma anymore. Oh, but then you just got to—I love being married. But you got how many weddings are you going to have? <laughs> Planning a wedding is stressful. It's expensive. But polygamy also served a very real, very cult-specific problem in the Mormon church. See, sometimes a married person will swallow the narrative from a cult leader whole, but their spouse just don't get it. Are you purposely just putting in all of these sexual puns? I've heard shrinkage, swallow, and seed. This is just you. This is you, because I did not do any of that on purpose. Or maybe it's just a subconscious Maybe we've been alone for two weeks, and I think that we do have some subconscious, like, I am also very horny. You have been in a lot of different, I'm going to say, institutions than Marcus and I in the last two weeks. Well, when you've got... A sp- one spouse that believes in the cult leader and one spouse that doesn't, if that belief in the story is strong enough, the person who believes sometimes will abandon their spouse in favor of their new chosen leader. Now, this mm. isn't really a problem if you're joining a cult like Scientology that lives entirely outside the Christian belief structure. But if you're Mormon, then you're unfortunately bound by biblical rules. Dude, it's like just even fucking having an afternoon with Jeremy Renner, right? <laughs> you're hanging out with Jeremy Renner. He's got fucking his boy Keys on the guitar, oh, oh, which is kind of funny because yeah. his name's Keys. Right. right? <laughs> We've got everybody around him fucking a couple guys Shreddy beatboxing. Pete. Yeah. yeah, Shreddy Pete. He's on the steel drums because you know <laughs> Jeremy Renner's throwing on that gay. That's short for reggae. Okay. And you're hanging out with him. It's like, what are you going to do? It's like, yes, my wife is, you know, like I, I love Natalie, but you spent a couple of days 
days with the Renner. Of course. The pure heterosexual magnetism <laughs> of just being around Hawkeye has got to just start driving you wild. And even though any bond can be shattered by that. And of see, course. Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith's fairly handsome, too. Yeah. Like, if you saw his death mask, you can see he would, he had a nice, nice shaped nose, right. nice little kind of doleful eyes. Ooh. And he's fucking telling you all sorts of stuff about the Kabbalic fucking celestial mal- marriages that he's going to throw down on it. And maybe he also invented eating pussy. There it is. Okay. Compelling guy. Interesting man. Well, as we know, Joseph Smith was clever with interpretation, and he knew that the Bible was a sword that could cut both ways. So he found a road to polygamy that went straight through the Old Testament. Using the examples of Abraham and countless others who took more than one wife, Smith creatively interpreted this line from Exodus. And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. Interesting. And if you think about Jesus and the twelve apostles, flip it. What if they were chicks? (laughs) Fuck yeah. Cool. (laughs) From that line, Joseph deduced that adultery was not in the fucking, but in the leaving. See? Uh, Wait, hold on a second. What was that line? And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. He's got to marry her. The bad thing is leaving her after fucking her. Yeah. (laughs) That you can have sex with her. That's totally cool. God wants you to do that. Okay. But you're supposed to get married afterwards. No, actually, you have to get married before. Yeah, you you can have sex with any woman you wanted just so long as you married them before you did so. And although the widespread practice of polygamy within Mormonism was still about five years away, Joseph Smith also knew that more wives meant more children, which naturally meant more Mormons. You can do, <sighs> basically, you make your own following. Yeah. And once these people are born in, it's so much easier. Then you're locked in. Your family is locked in. That's what Scientology understood about getting the whole family. Catholicism did the same shit in Ireland. The idea of just right. you just like, no condoms, no problem. Everybody's pumping out as many babies as you uh-huh. can because then that's followers. But it also puts towards the Kabbalic idea of the heavenly father and mother, the male and female, Hakma and Bina, right? God's first emanated forms from the ultimate, like, back God, the Das version of God. And the idea is that these gods came from the nothingness or everythingness, and they fucked and made whole new worlds. So now you're starting to see there is a literal... The above and as a below, which is create more fucking children to create more Mormons. And then there's the below, which is a spiritual creation of each time we have a baby, we've made a new Mormon planet. But this really is just an extension of how farmers... Uh, have kids to take care of the farm. Yeah, labor he's just force. Do, he's just creating his own labor force. Yeah, but he's just cre- he's creating a religion. He's creating right. like an entire community. Uh, because like, do you honestly think Beck would have become a Scientologist? He was born into it. I mean, he oh, loves honestly, making that... crazy sounds. Yeah, that could go either way. <laughs> the uniforms are still fun. I'm still on the fence about Scientology being bad now. <laughs> I mean, After honestly... all of this time, <laughs> it's a fun idea. You get to be on a boat. LRH is playing his ukulele. You got a choir you can join it's kind of you know back in the day it was fun I'm not sure a chubby man playing a ukulele with a choir on a boat I know it sounds Uh. like the Edinburgh Fringe (laughs) it sounds like a show that fucking no one wants to go to yes I mean for some people the idea of Xenu is laughable but for other people I think Beck is like I'm sold. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But even so, Joseph Smith still had to issue a proclamation in 1835 following the Fanny Alger rumors that the Mormons were definitely not 
polygamous. Oh. And shame on you, sir. I've been shamed. For even what? thinking what? such a thing, you pervert. I did I not say it. I didn't even know it. <laughs> Now, this does seem like an oddly specific denial for the time. But in those days, experimenting with sexual relationships and screwing around with the institution of marriage was fairly common among the minor Christian sects. John Humphrey Noyes of The Perfectionists centrally wrote in 1836 that, quote, The marriage supper of the Lamb is a feast at which every dish is free to every guest. I love your analogy. Mm. Are you hungry? <laughs> uh, can you just, uh, just it's your again. I'm going to put your mother Kissel in it. No, why your, are you doing this Kissel's to my family? Just on a platter covered with mint jelly, and the oh whole neighborhood goodness. is invited to just dine on the sweet rump of your sweet, sweet mother. Oh, don't do that to my my mother's a lovely woman. And when this statement was published in a newspaper called the Philadelphia Battle Axe, that is fucking. Awesome. <laughs> it's a great newspaper name. Yes. But when they when uh, that was published, like people freaked out, and Joseph Smith was paying attention to all of this. It's weird though because he was doing it. It became such an institutionalized part of early Mormonism. Mm-hmm. But he had the wherewithal to know this is an inside thing. <laughs> so, like you just kind of have to be on the inside, which is a part of also his basic understanding of the secret schools mm-hmm. and that we have secret privilege knowledge. Like, yes, mm. the public can't handle that we're fucking everybody's wives. They can't fucking handle it because it's too groovy. <laughs> it's right. too close to the actual reformed word of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. In the meantime, though, Joseph Smith was just trying to keep Mormonism alive while he was fucking around in Kirtland trying to get his temple built, the Mormons in Missouri were being shuffled from county to county. No Mormon could set foot in Jackson County anymore without being literally beaten to death. And the people in Clay County who had been sympathetic towards the Mormons after the Jackson County attacks had gotten their fill as well. Hmm. Eventually, though, the Mormons founded a city of their own in Missouri called Far West, which would, at its peak, boast 100 buildings and five thousand Mormons. Wow. And this city was all built without Joseph Smith's guidance in any way whatsoever. No kidding. Is a part of this the luck that he's doing this in the frontier times and there are people already organizing and forming their own cities? Because I, part of me, that's why I keep bringing it back to like the hermetic teachings that maybe Joseph Smith had at some point because he tapped into such a vein that people got inspired by. Yeah. People were j- jumping at this Mormonism shit to the point where they're forming, they're building right. and constructing an entire city without him even there as the center, without him like giving prophecies or revelations in front of them. Or is it just that they were like, well, we're just kind of, we got a Mormon hats on. like, <laughs> And that's real. It is. It's like, it's like, I'm not a member of the Baltimore Ravens. I just have the Jersey on and I just so happen to be building a, sh- a fucking shanty town. Well, as Bruce Springsteen says, you can't start a fire without a match. Wait, you can't start a blaze without a spark. You can't start a, the Amazon's on fire. I, that's all I know. I think he said, we can't start the show without a writer. <laughs> 
Well, I think what the Mormons were doing here, it's, it's kind of like when you take a long road trip to a dumb destination, like where you just have somewhere, you have a right. goal, you have somewhere in mind, and that something that they had was Mormonism. Like Mormonism brought them out there. It brought them out there and it inspired them and it kept them going. It gave them something to do. I gave would, them something to believe in in that extremely difficult time. I would just recommend so you don't have to begin and start and build a cult, just go to like a hotel shaped like a boot. <laughs> and then when you get there, you'll be like, kind of sucks as a hotel, not a lot of room here, but it's about the journey. Yeah. Now, Joseph Smith would eventually end up in Far West, but it took a series of massive fuck-ups in Ohio to get him there. Really, the beginning of the end for the Mormons in Ohio came when Smith decided to start his own bank. This motherfucker <laughs> had, I don't even know how he sat down with these balls. I don't know how he has these ideas because they're so, I call, again, this is also maybe just the power of America, the power of just being, being inspired by our yep. own spirit. Where you go out there and he was like, we are up to our fucking brain lids in debt. We need money. Right. So he's like, how do I get money? How do I get money? Make up my own money. Boom. Well, I mean, it's not that dumb of an idea for the time. Because see, although the Mormons were growing, the people they were converting were poor. They just did not have money. So Joseph was forced to borrow large sums of money to build the temple and keep the religion going. And what hmm. is money anyway, Marcus? <laughs> I mean, money is just, it's just paper. It's just paper. And you know, you only that agree right? to, to spend it in my money when you sign your driver's license. But if you don't sign your driver's license, guys, I am a sovereign citizen. Uh-huh. I don't uh-huh. sign anything. I do everything with an X. I don't even read. Um, okay, well, student Alex Jones, it's been great having you in our sociology class, but. What is a, what is an A but three lines? Yeah. What is a B but three lines? Uh, well, you got an F. That is three lines yeah. on the paper. Yes. See, by 1836, Joseph was fifty thousand dollars in debt in 1836 money i don't even know how much money that is now so joseph smith founded the kirtland safety society bank company and appointed Sidney rigdon as president while joseph appointed himself as the lowly teller i'm just a teller i wouldn't know that's above my pay grade i know this money is made out of barley corns but i just i work the drawer that's all i do very smart though very smart and after the bank was established, the Mormons began printing their own money, which was a common, if short-lived, practice for frontier banks in the 1830s before the whole print-your-own-money scheme came crashing down. Because you got to—I mean, there's not a fucking Wells Fargo branch out there. Like, you need—you're no. out there on the frontier. There's a lot of commerce happening. It, it's all happening extremely fast. You need banks. But also, they show that money is fake, right? Where it's all about the belief you have— actually in the bills that you spent. Yeah, back then it did actually mean something yeah. because you would the, what the, you were supposed to be able to do is you would get this banking note uh-huh. from this bank that was say for $10 and you could go to the bank, you could give them $10 the $10 mm-hmm. note and they would give you $10 in gold and or silver or whatever. But the Mormons did not run their bank like that. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> they, they ran it like it was a total fucking scam? <laughs> well, the first problem came when Ohio refused to incorporate the bank. Mm. So Joseph took the banknotes he'd already printed and stamped the prefix anti in front of the word bank, oh. making his notes say, 
Kirtland Safety Society, anti-banking company. That's it's the only it. bank that must exist an anti-bank. That is the only way reality is. You know, I spoke to God, and he told me, you just get stamps, boy. And I was like, whatever you want, God, you'd be crazy. <laughs> and it was with these notes that Joseph Smith paid off his debts. Now, this would have been fine it if... Is- if, like uh, I said, the banknotes had been backed by a safe full of gold and silver. Mm. And when you went and looked in the vault, you could see boxes that appeared to be filled with coins. Nothing but coins. <laughs> you know how hard it was even to get these trunks in here? Who's irresponsible? I mean, five old women do it just to, for them to understand just how much money we had. Wow. <laughs> but what ex-Mormons later said was that underneath that top layer of coins was just a bunch of sand. Wow, it's almost like so symbolic my brain hurts. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Good for him. By the time these rumors got out, though, Joseph had already circulated $36,000 in bogus (laughs) notes. Forget it! Fuck yeah! I mean, I feel like I did this... (laughs) I had a little bit of a run with something we like to call, let's say, creative checking that that I did in college for a while where you just get a bunch of groceries and then you write a check because you could do that back in the early 2000s. You could write a check and then you just kind of fade into the background yeah, of course. see what happens and then they try to find it but then it's too late you already ate all the food of and course. they can't make you think, you know because then they're just like oh you gotta return all this food and they get really mad if you just bring a bucket of shit absolutely <laughs> it's like paying your taxes with pennies and because of this because of the 36,000 in bogus notes Joseph's house of cards fell apart less than a month after the bank first opened its doors I mean he literally went against the bible scripture of not building your house on the sand <laughs> he just like took it. He's like, well, it's not a house. It's a bank. <laughs> Thirteen lawsuits were brought against Joseph Smith, resulting in seven arrests in four months for unpaid debts that now totaled $150,000. Ah. And then came a revelation. Just in fucking time. It's unbelievable. God told Joseph that it would have to be his congregants who would pay his personal debts. Th- these, this God really seems to be looking out for number one. <laughs> he really is. Isn't that interesting? He really has a friend in his version <laughs> of God. Wow. And while a lot of the congregants were poor, men like Parley Pratt, Mitt Romney's grandfather, and Sylvester Smith, they did have money. They had land. But for them, even this was a bridge too far. They're like, no. I am not fucking paying your debts. Ah, but God told you to. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You scared? I am scared now. What if I wash your butthole? <laughs> I'm going to save that for a couple of years, and then you'll see how much you'll like from when I wash your butthole, Bonnie Pratt. I'm going to keep it nice and dirty for you. <laughs> so Joseph did what he always did when things got rough. He left on a mission and waited for things to cool down. But when he returned from his trip to Canada, he found that the church had split in his absence. Many had stayed loyal to Joseph, but a good number, including David Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, and poor Martin Harris, the guys who had helped to translate the golden plates, they were now following a young girl who claimed to be able to tell the future by staring into a magical black stone. That's so fucking fast. You gotta be so mad. These people, you've been working all of a sudden, a new hot comic shows up, (laughs) show up there, you've been working so hard, you've been, you know... You just get bumped. Next thing you know, you're just sitting there at the bar getting hammered. You've been Margaret Cho for 20 years. All yep. of a sudden, you show up. Aquafina's now here? <laughs> Aquafina. <laughs> but you got, that's got to be incredible of her just being like, yes, 
I can see in your future, all of you will be penniless. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's pretty accurate, little girl. That's amazing. Are, were you in Poltergeist? <laughs> Nailed it. The final straw for Joseph in Ohio came when a major warrant for banking fraud finally arrived, mm. and an angry mob made up of creditors and ex-Mormons burned down the building where the bank had printed its money. These people were not fucking around. No. no. Old America was serious, dude. Yeah, I they actually... Just came, they would just show up. I like. There's a part of me really misses this idea. Yeah, I'm actually very proud of these creditors just being like... <laughs> Yeah, you don't think we're strong. But indeed, we might be nerds, but we will burn down your house. But that's back when they could get away with it. That's old school just showing up being like, that bank defrauded me. Let's burn it the fuck down. Burn it down. <laughs> well, that night, Joseph Smith was chased out of town by an angry mob who followed him for 200 miles. It's a white person chase. <laughs> Honestly, running low, running on empty, like him with the huge beard, just running on the highway. But he is, talk about, this is great profit cardio. Yeah. He has ran yes. and been run out of so many places. His calves must be incredible. Oh, absolutely. Stronger than Forrest Gump's. Yeah, they chased him for 200 miles before they finally gave up and went home. Jeez. Soon after, the 600 remaining Mormons left Kirtland as well, and the town that had once rivaled the great city of Cleveland fell back into obscurity. Oh. Meanwhile, Joseph was, as always, sidestepping and bullshitting. The people of Far West believed that God had made the bank fail in order to return his prophet to Missouri, and Joseph followed their lead. Yeah, that's exactly what fucking happened. I meant to biff this, you guys. 40 chess. It's always oh, about yeah. playing that game that you don't even know we're playing. You even think we're playing 40 chess, but I'm actually playing 7D Sorry. Whoa, <laughs> isn't that something? Well, upon arriving in Far West for the first time, he proclaimed the land to be the valley where Adam and Eve went after their expulsion from Eden. And the Mormons had chosen the exact spot where Cain had murdered Abel to build their city. It's kind of like if Bush Gardens were centered around the Bible. You've got Adam and Eve land, you've got Cain and Abel land, and it was, I really think it was, let me smell, let me, let me taste, a, taste some of the dirt. Right here. Adam and Eve shit right here. <laughs> they did. Huh. And although the town was called Far West officially, Joseph Smith named it Adam Ondai Aman. Ah, something that uh, it, it works so well on a city sign. Yes. All the city planners were so happy they had to change all the signs from far west <laughs> to what seems Adam to be. Adam Aman. Rolls off the tongue. And with this, the Mormons had a settlement that was solely theirs, rather than a place where others had already settled. But because they were in their own town didn't mean they weren't still in Missouri. And the Mormons still had a reputation for being abolitionist Yankees in a fiercely pro-slavery state that defended said conviction with deadly violence. Plus, the memory of the Mormons' forcible removal from Jackson County was still fresh in the minds of Joseph's people. So Smith chose a man named Samson Avard to form a defensive military body. This guy was very serious. Mm. He was super, super into it. He loved being named the admiral of a fucking army immediately, which yeah. is basically just farmers. But that's the American spirit again. If you yes. got a gun and you got a flag, you are an army. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got a chance to be one. But since it still had to be done under the auspices of their religion, Joseph structured the army as a series of secret fraternal societies. 
There were the brothers of Gideon, the daughters of Zion, the sons of Dan, and the infamous Danites. Sons of Dan are such a fucking problem the way they keep setting off fireworks at my grandmother's house. I know. It really is ridiculous. It's not even July 4th. But as I was reading of this subject, <laughs> I was reading this subject, the, it seems like it, sort, it started informally, the secret groups, right? Where they kind of, it became a understanding. And then they started doing the handshakes. Then they had their own ways of communicating. But it seems to create a precedent for more secret groups to be a part of Mormonism from now on. Mm. And there would always be something like the Danites. The Danites still sort of exist. And we're going to see as we track this further into modern times, this concept keeps popping up and seems to create massive problems for Mormonism, except because of the fact that it is like segmented into a secret group. So they can always go, we didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. Right. See, before all of this, before the Danites, when the Mormons had taken their fun little excursion down south to Missouri, they'd been badly armed, barely trained, and poorly led. It was more of a lark than anything else. But that all changed with Samson Avard. He was experienced, aggressive, and most of all, violent. Now, Joseph Smith knew that he needed plausible deniability when it came to a secret military, so he pretty much gave free reign to Samson Avard. What Avard taught would eventually result in a massacre decades later. Can you imagine what Samson could do if he went to one Comic-Con? He could put together a force that would take on the U.S. military. See, the Danites in particular set the Mormons apart from regular folk by claiming that the Mormons were the true house of Israel, which made all the rest of us genteels, Mm. meaning that we were lesser than and therefore fair game. I believe it's Gentiles. Gentiles? Yes, it's Gentiles. That's kind of because that's what the Jewish people call us. Mm. Yeah, we're Gentiles. Now, Joseph Smith says that he repudiated any and all talk that may have led to violence. And he very well may have, because Joseph Smith was not an inherently violent man most of the time, unlike Brigham Young, who we'll cover on the next episode. But Joseph Smith certainly enjoyed the uh, profits of violence yes. and right. what it did for the Mormons, both physically and spiritually. Mm-hmm. But when you form a secret military society made up of justifiably paranoid people, it's not going to take long before it blows up in your face. And that's exactly what happened with the Mormon War of 1838. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. 
Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Live from your uh, all began with a simple fist fight on Election Day. Mormons had traveled to Gallatin, Missouri to vote, but had been stopped from entering the polls by settlers, and the altercation soon became physical. A settler knocked a Mormon to the ground, and the Mormon used the Danite hand signal for assistance. The middle finger. <laughs> Fuck you! And when that signal was made, 30 Mormons picked up tree branches and attacked 200 settlers, driving the settlers away. Okay. By the time word got back to Far West, though, the story had grown into a tale that involved the deaths of two Mormons, (gasps) even though nobody on either side had even been badly hurt, much less killed. But when Joseph Smith heard the news, the Mormon-Gentile divide was officially established in the public speech he made soon after. If the people will let us alone, we will preach the gospel in peace. But if they come on us to molest us, we will establish our religion by the sword. We will trample down our enemies and make it one gore of blood from the Rocky Mountains to the Atlantic Ocean. I will be to this generation a second Mohammed, whose motto in treating for peace was the Koran or the sword. So shall it eventually be with us, Joseph Smith or the sword. And then he mentioned the axis of evil, uh, which was very interesting. Because <laughs> a lot of this came to, there was tension because the Mormons were building up a g- big enough population that they were starting to sway local elections. So there was massive right. anti and pro-Mormon shit going on back and forth that we didn't cover in this because you should just re- read a book. Read the, read No Man Knows My History. It's fantastic. Seriously, read it. But there is a whole section where basically like Joseph Smith started catering to specific politicians to try to use the Mormon population to swing votes. So people were getting real mad about it. Right. And with that, Far West prepared for a siege. 
Blacksmiths hammered swords and pikes from every available piece of steel, and the Mormon army mobilized. I'm just here for the music, really. (laughs) I'm a choir director. Yes. They arrived in Gallatin ready to fight, but after discovering no one had died, like the rumor said, they instead marched to the Justice of the Peace and demanded the signing of a peace agreement between the Mormons and the Missourians. But this, just like the story that mobilized the Mormons, morphed into a tale of gross intimidation by the time it reached the establishment. Mm. So a circuit court judge named Austin King, whose brother-in-law had been killed in a Jackson County Mormon riot, issued a warrant for Joseph Smith's arrest. This shit's fucking crazy, honestly. He showed up with a fucking army. Mm. He actually got all these dipshits together with a bunch of swords (laughs) and all this bullshit they handmade. This is... There's a part of it where... There's a dry layer to history where you just kind of think about this bullshit. You know, you see this as a factoid, but the more and more I'm rolling around this, like rolling this around in my head, it's just imagining LRH in the ship, but the ship had fucking cannons. Yeah, there was an actual Navy. Yeah. All right. Very aggressive. So after Joseph was arrested, the Danites gathered an army of 350 men, which again was magnified in rumor to actually be 15 Thousand men. This is the Blackbeard effect. Mm-hmm. The Missouri militia fled under the rumors, and with the militia out of town, the Mormons plundered the Gentiles of Gallatin, burning cabins and stealing livestock before returning to Far West. Mormons gone crazy. In response, the militia burned every Mormon cabin outside the Far West walls. Word of a battle at Crooked River reached Missouri Governor Wilburn Boggs, and Boggs was told that 50 militia members had been killed by Mormons. Again, it was just a rumor. All, this, all of this stuff is predicated in horseshit. Yeah, right. Including the religion, it's open self Twisted into a tornado no. of activity. We it's- don't go to war on false pretense. <laughs> it never happens and it never will happen. Yeah, it's like just a big game of telephone. It goes from one guy to the day because you know it's not one messenger taking like riding a horse from Gallatin to Independence. Like it's one guy riding a little bit, telling a guy what happened. He goes right. and tells another guy, he goes and tells another guy. And by the time you get from one guy to the next, it goes from five Mormons being killed, which was the actual story Mm. to 50 militia members being killed. Okay. But the Mormons had actually burned down houses. And when news of both of these incidents reached Lilburn Boggs on the same day, he wrote this command, the only one of its kind in United States history. The Mormons must be treated as enemies and must be exterminated or driven from the state. If necessary for the public good, their outrages are beyond all description. And I heard this one story about a girl who could fit her whole fist up inside of her. Isn't that something? And that was, I thought, beyond description until I went to Paris, France. And I saw it for myself, and my God, even now, I will say, it is beyond description. That's crazy. <laughs> Governor Boggs, did you want your pants? You want to put your pants on today? Nope. <laughs> Well, think about this, man. I mean, this is the governor of a state issuing an extermination order on a religious group. Meanwhile, Smith had escaped frontier justice once more and had returned to far west, where siege mentality was in full force. Naturally, people were tense and depressed. So on one Sunday in particular, Joseph Smith challenged his men to an old-fashioned 
wrestling match. This All is right, for you, kids. <laughs> Let's get naked and wrestle. He put his fucking Indian headdress on. He did the full He's Tatanka. Like Tatanka. Yeah. Yeah. He went around there and be like, bet you can't pin me. You're a slippery old prophet. Oh, I love it. Stone Cold Stunner's getting hit. Mandible claw, the mandible claw. <laughs> one by one, the men tried taking down Joseph, but Joseph was a great wrestler. He was like Abraham Lincoln. Yep. And not a single Mormon could throw Joseph Smith. So finally, Joseph stepped aside and just let the men wrestle each other. And if you want a greater analogy of the world that we live in now compared to the world that was, Abraham Lincoln is in the NCAA Wrestling Hall of Fame. Donald Trump is in the WWE Hall of Fame. (laughs) So just let that sink in. It is a perfect analogy for our times. But think about it. We should try to let Travis wrestle us more often to try to inspire them. The rage in Travis, he would just, our eyes would be gouged, our noses would be ripped off. Just, I mean, please. This is all about inspiring our employees, inspiring the people to like wrestling and having a good time and playing grab ass and pinning them down and just seeing what happens when he's squirming underneath us. Oh, got to put my HR cap on. Uh, Henry, shame. Oh, yes, I experience it. But Sidney Rigdon, Mormonism's eternal wet blanket, came and chastised the men, sword in hand, for breaking the Sabbath. Oh, come on. Ah, come you got to have a little fun. Come on. In response, Joseph knocked the sword from Sidney's hand and said, quote, Old man, you must go out or I will throw you down. Hey, all right. So he had a little hair. He had a little hair, uh, hair up his ass here. Huh? Oh, yeah, man. And when Sidney refused, Joseph knocked off his hat, ripped his coat, and tossed him out of the ring. Ha-ha! Huzzah! And everyone's just like, yeah, Now, he did not go over the top rope. And by Royal Rumble rules, he's technically still in the match. <laughs> but it's crazy. He's just getting everybody going. Just They're out there. And at some points being like, um, uh, Mr. Smith, aren't we fighting a war? Yes, but today... We're wrestling. We're wrestling. <laughs> and from that day forward, Sidney Rigdon followed Joseph Smith unconditionally until, of course, Joseph tried to fuck his daughter a few uh, years later. Ah. Uh. But while the boys were all having fun in Far West, the Missouri militia was making good on the proclamation of Lil Burn Boggs. Although most Mormons had heeded the warning Joseph Smith had made to retreat inside the walls of Far West, one stubborn settlement called Hans Mill refused to leave what they'd built. Mm. So when the Missouri militia arrived with a force of 200 men, the Mormons were slaughtered like animals. The militia picked off Mormons from the tree line, making no distinction between the adults and the children. And after the Mormons had been mostly subdued, the militia then moved in and finished off the wounded. One Mm. old man was hacked to pieces with a corn cutter. One nine-year-old boy was dragged from his hiding place and shot in the head at point-blank range after one militiaman said, Nits will make lice. All in all, out of the 38 people who called Hans Mill home, 17 had been murdered and 15 had been wounded. And after the militia left, the survivors lowered the dead into an unfinished well and headed towards far west. And Joseph Smith knew that although his men were loyal and dedicated, they were no match for the savagery the Missouri militia was ready to dole out. So Joseph privately told one of his men to go to the local general and, quote, Beg like a dog for peace. Mm. Publicly, though, Smith sang a different tune. 
This is what he told his people. If they try to attack us, we will play hell with their apple carts. Before now, men, you fought like devils. But now I want you to fight like angels. For angels can whip devils. And for everyone we lack in number to match the mob, the Lord will send an angel to fight alongside. You won't see them. (laughs) <laughs> and they're not going to do a lot of the killing. But imagine they're rooting you on with their phantom cries and their transparent swords. So this whole thing was about apple carts, huh? <laughs> is that what's going on here? Apple carts is old-timey talk for ball sacks. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. But while the bluster kept up morale, the conditions sent back to Joseph Smith were, to say the least, harsh. Mm. First, the Mormons were required to surrender, after which their leaders would be tried for treason. Second, all Mormon property would be confiscated and liquidated. Third, all Mormons not executed for treason must leave the state immediately. And fourth, the Mormons would be required to surrender all their weapons before they left. Okay, here's a here's a counter pitch. Here's a bit of a counter pitch. What if we you just let us go scot free? <laughs> I will say number three isn't that bad. You mean to tell me I've got to leave Missouri? Oh, man. Oh, no. And if the Mormons did not meet these demands, each and every Mormon would suffer the same fate as those who had died at Hans Mill. They're essentially threatening genocide. Right. And while these terms were deliberated, Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, Parley Pratt, and a few others were held as hostages. Now, Lilburn Boggs wanted to execute the men at 8 in the morning on the public square of Far West. But a man named General Donifan, who had gotten friendly with the Bormans, stepped in and saved their lives. Mm. He liked them. Yeah, he liked them. Like, he had actually, he had gotten very friendly with them. Like, where he's like, you know, once you get to know them, they're totally fucking harmless. Listen, the big thing is that you could fuck whoever you want if you marry him. Is and that I, right? I, know, I, know, I don't tell this to a lot of people because people really freak out, but you seem like a cool guy. Donovan, Irish, you know what I'm talking about. Because <laughs> <laughs> really, at this time, yes, the Mormons, the reason why the Missourians hated the Mormons so much was because they, the Mormons were anti-slavery. Mm-hmm. Well, even, they weren't even anti-slavery. It's that the Missourians thought they were anti-slavery. Yeah. It was a rumor that Joseph was going Smith around. Because Joseph would have been whatever anybody wanted to be. Well, the but Mormons... a good thing that they were anti-slavery, obviously. He course. didn't want to be publicly anti-slavery. He was against being publicly anti-slavery because of how much heat it brought on them. Mm. He, again, he had a private set of circumstances, and then he was like, but on the outside, we are trying to keep up with the Johnsons. You know what, man? I'm just going to say, if I only heard two facts anti-slavery, and you get to bang a bunch of chicks? <laughs> Put that magic underwear around my head, buddy. <laughs> but understand, like, we're on the way to the Civil War right now. Right. We're about, in, in this period of American history, we're about 20 years away from the Civil War. And that was a Ooh. long, long time coming. Mm. And Missouri was one of those battleground states where there you had people that were both pro-slavery and anti-slavery. And if you were anti-slavery, then the pro-slavery people would murder you. Mm-hmm. Well, in the meantime, 6,000 militiamen descended on Far West. In one week, they shot cattle and hogs, hunted down and murdered elders, and tied down Mormon men and women alike in the schoolhouse and raped them. And at the end of it, the Missourians told the Mormons that the Mormons were the real aggressors. But that's only because that false story was backed up by none other than Samson Avard. 
Hoping to save his own skin, Samson turned coat immediately and testified that Joseph Smith had set up his own military complete with a secretary of war, which could be seen as a bit of light treason. Oh, I love a nice light treason. Light treason, yes. (laughs) The point of the army, Samson said, was for Joseph Smith to establish a personal kingdom within the borders of America, which would no doubt result in a quick hanging for Joseph Smith if it could be proven. It wasn't entirely wrong, though. Not entirely wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, no one could testify that Joseph Smith had been at any of the battles, nor could they prove that he ordered the attacks, nor could they prove definitively that the Danites even existed outside of Samson Avard's testimony. Luckily for Joseph Smith, nobody had written anything down yet. No, he just, because he kind of had a plan for that, Mm -hmm. because he talked about the verbal testimony and how important it was to just remember the things I say Mm. and spread it via story, (laughs) speak to each other, because then you really get the gist of it. Now, you don't want to write it down. Words are just, again, lines on paper. What is a, what is a, oh, but an asshole. What is an R, but a crooked nose. Yeah, that's true. And it is interesting, because if you do it like that, then everyone can kind of interpret it in their own mind Mm -hmm. and make it fit whatever they believe, as opposed to having a a solidified belief system that they could argue against. Mm -hmm. But Joseph Smith kept very intense diaries, which you'll find out decades and decades later that all of this was transcribed, obviously twisted mm-hmm. from an, an unreliable narrator's point of view where he is a uh, the only person who can talk to Jesus Christ and God himself, who's mm-hmm. the same person, because, but who is also a gigantic planet. Yeah. Well, furthermore, the Hans Mill Massacre was now national news, which turned the tide of public opinion towards the Mormons. Now, on and on it went until finally Mormon leaders bribed a guard with whiskey to facilitate their escape. Very interesting. Are we talking about the Epstein suicide again? What happened? What's going on here? I love it. They were sleepy guards. They were indeed. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened here. The guard drank himself into a deep sleep. It was just pretty much, here's your whiskey. He's like, all right, I'm just going to drink all this. I'm going to fall asleep, and then y'all get out of here. They scooby-dooed their way out of it. While he was asleep, Joseph Smith and the uh, other leaders skittered away and left Missouri forever. They, along with 8,000 other Mormons, fled to a settlement in Illinois established by Brigham Young named Nauvoo. Now, remember that number. Think about that shit. We're already at 8,000 Mormons. Mm -hmm. They have built this it's going to become a big old city. And Nauvoo, if you, I've never been there, I'm really, really excited. I Google street mapped it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I walked through the streets of Nauvoo, and it is fucking weird. So you mean to tell me Mormonism, the religion that outlaws alcohol, would not be around today without whiskey? Yeah. Okay. Now, the first year in Nauvoo was beset by disease and death. But after the Mormons established themselves, they built a city that, at its peak, had 250 buildings and over 15,000 Mormons. And Nauvoo comes from a bastardized version of the Hebrew word for, I believe, heaven. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And again, he has these weird... Like, he has these very strange, like, Hebrew lessons that he's been taking. He's been obsessed Mm. with religious studies at this point. Again and again, more of this stuff is going to get filtered in, where he's looking at the Kabbalah. He is doing something with the Kabbalah where he's starting to understand, I was making this shit up as a go. I was just kind of flying off the dome with these rules. But I'm also weirdly channeling 
thousands of years of mm. religious thought in the background of this and the fucking coding of my teachings. I mean, Joseph Smith, mm. I mean, could very well have been plugged into something that you could call the collective unconscious. Like this mm. guy, he was plugged into these ancient sort of rituals, these ancient religions, but he was also specifically plugged in, in into America and what Americans wanted and right. eventually what the entire world wanted, at least the Western world. So where are they off to now? They are off to Illinois, my friend. Woo! Da bears. <laughs> and with this, the Mormons thought that maybe they'd found a permanent settlement. And for a while, they had. I mean, at one point, like, it was, as far as, like, the major city in Illinois, at one point, it was between Nauvoo and Chicago. It was going to be one of the two. I will say heaven is apparently extremely cold because that is a horrible place to be during the winter. And as a result, the Mormons settled in enough for Joseph Smith to finally expand Mormonism into the fully ritualistic religion that it is today. See, while Smith was in prison in Missouri, he'd had time to reflect upon the sorts of men who would come into his service. Samson Avard had proved to be a cowardly traitor. Sidney Rigdon had lost his mind in the prison cell with Joseph. Mm. And three of his closest followers had abandoned him for a teenager with a magic fucking rock. <laughs> Friends like these. <laughs> I, everybody loves Militia Joan Hart, and this is where it started. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So even though the violence perpetrated against them bound the Mormons together, Joseph needed something to bind his people to Mormonism. So he introduced a highly elaborate set of temple rituals based on existing Masonic rites. Hmm. He, you say even just based them on, where it's almost like he completely ripped them off. Stolen, yes. He, yes, and but he, there was something about the... The way these rituals work, I looked a little bit into the history of the Freemason rituals, and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of concrete information about when they started. Mm -hmm. The first time they were recorded was in the 1600s in Scotland, and so this has been around for a while. But they obviously there was the kind of fabled beginnings that happened with the original stone cutters, like in fucking Solomon's day, and that and that's where these things came about. But it's it's interesting to see there, there's something about the actual movements that they will learn that it's about the way the brain works with symbolism and a way the human monkey reacts to it's about the physicalization of a belief that then embeds it deep inside and also everybody's on this doing this super secret embarrassing thing that also is a secret keeping mechanism that keeps all of us in the same club so he based it on uh, the masonic rituals very similar to vanilla ice basing his ice ice baby hook on uh, <laughs> under pressure it's yeah. based on it's based, based on. on it's not stealing it's based upon Rise from your grave. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay, leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back to our studio where we have a special guest with us today, Toucan Sam from Fruit Loops. Toucan Sam, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, and um, it's Fruit Loops, just so you know. Uh, fruit? Fruit. Yeah, fruit. No, it's Fruit Loops. 
the same way you say studio. That's not how we say it. Fruit Loops, find the loopy side. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. From your now, the roots of Mormon ritual had already taken hold years before their arrival in Nauvoo, as the ritualistic washing of the feet and the anointing of believers with oil had been a big part of Mormon services since about 1830. But in 1842, Joseph Smith discovered Freemasonry through various members of the Mormon Church who had entered the faith as established Freemasons, and the founding of a Masonic Lodge in Nauvoo that same year sealed the deal. See, in Freemasonry, Joseph Smith once again found a ready-made system that he could steal and adapt for his own purposes. Mm. He reasoned that what worked for the Masons for centuries would no doubt work for the Mormons. And in this, he was absolutely correct. It's just so... It's so mysterious. It's in hidden doors. And then again, it's like where LRH conceived of Zeno and all that kind of shit of the idea of being like... Now you're going to see behind the veil, and you're going to see what's the real, real, the real. Oh, real I love the way you talk mumbled to me. Yeah, you're going to love it. Oh, I love how yeah. my teeth look like a piano keys as it's dropped off for a click, mm. and after it's dropped off for a cliff in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. But the, it, there's, it's this power. It's this power. There's, it connects something deep, deep down. And some of my handshakes. People love handshakes. People love, love handshakes. It. Although the Mormons have a large variety of rituals, the most important one is known as the endowment. Specifically, the endowment is an adult initiation ritual that is supposed to prepare Mormons for their place among the exalted in the afterlife or to become gods themselves. Because our God was a, our creator God started as a dude. And this dude exalted himself using ancient rituals in order to be, shoot past human life mm. into this creator god status in order to work for the big up top god, right? All of this weird hermetic idea of the, the layers of godhood. And so his job is he basically creates earth and all this kind of shit, but then he transmuted himself back into human form into Adam and Eve and arrived back on earth and then inspired it again, got exalted again. Came back, went back to the up top, came back as Jesus again. You this wouldn't. is all in this video. If you watch the actual, the, the ritual, they, sp they play a 45-minute long video that explains this shit, and it is dry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds like he had a busy life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this ritual, Joseph Smith combined New Testament rites such as anointing, foot washing, and bathing with complicated Freemason initiation rituals. Not coincidentally, the first endowment ceremonies began about two months after Smith became a first-degree Mason. Now, the entire ceremony, as it was done for about 150 years, mm. took about two hours, and it is Far too long and complicated to completely cover from end to end. Now we're going to tickle your foot. <laughs> we can, however, give some of the broad strokes 
and juicy bits. Mm. <laughs> oh, sounds like a London fish restaurant. <laughs> Broad strokes. What about that place and called ju- Slug and Lettuce? I don't. There is a chain restaurant called Slug and Lettuce all over e- the oh. all over Europe, and I just can't eat there. <laughs> Well, basically, the endowment has two parts, the initiatory segment and the ritual drama segment. Now, the initiatory segment has evolved quite a bit since the time of Joseph Smith. Originally, it began with a fully nude, head-to-toe bathing of the initiate that was supposed to wash them clean of the blood and sins of their generation. Daddy, is it true that my balls are dirtier than my penis? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's where the devils are. The devils live somewhere in a mystical land called the Gooch. Isn't that? You'll make sure really? the Gooch is cleansed, my son. Oh, I'm so proud of you this day. Oh, you're, you're a grower, not a shower, just like your father. Oh, my. This is it's a horrible day to be your son. And for about the first 80 years, this was done totally nude. But starting in 1920, they allowed the initiate to wear a ritual poncho, which they called a shield. Oh. So, okay, who do you think did this first? Was it one of the fathers just being like, hey, um, I don't want to fucking touch my disgusting kids' balls. Could you <laughs> just, Daddy, like... they said that you're going to wash my no, nuts. No, I'm honestly... because God, I want to be a god. I love you, son. Could you just put a fucking poncho on that goddamn kid? <laughs> I sat in a bunch of dog shit. You did. Put a poncho on him, could you? Well, then, in 2005, they changed it so one began the ceremony with their temple garment. Mm. And now they only wash the head. Oh, come on. They just fucking do anything. They don't do anything fun anymore. I almost respect it more when they went all in, you know? Well, speaking of the temple garment, that brings us to the famed magical underwear. Yes, I've been waiting for the magical underwear. It's finally appeared. Well, originally, the temple garment, as it's called, was a shirt containing no metal that was given to the initiate following the washing. And that shirt was then hidden after the ceremony to hide it from, quote, destroying angels. (laughs) Pretty soon. A.K.A. like moths. (laughs) Yes. Pretty soon, though, the temple garment evolved into a utilitarian suit of long underwear that the initiate was commanded to wear constantly as a protection against evil, which gave the Mormons a way to control their followers' lives on a very basic and constant level. I like the way you put that, because that's that's really the truth, because then you have... It puts the, it physicalizes the secret. Yeah. It physicalizes the bond and the, the commitment you've made to the Mormon church because no matter where you go, I mean, it can't be that comfortable to be no. wearing this set of long underwear, especially when it's fucking hot, especially when you're on your mission, you're on a weird new city and you're doing all this fucking bullshit. In the wintertime, it's fantastic. I used to have like three sets of Mormon mm-hmm. magical underwear that uh, got me through like many winters in New York City. But you wear three shirts at a time. Yeah, I'm wearing three shirts right now. Yeah, it's hot in here. No, it I'm actually wearing two shirts. I'm actually uh, fucking sweating my balls off right now. Right, right. Well, I can wash those for you if you want to convert. (laughs) Um, The only magic underwear that I'll ever believe in is Michael Jordan's jockey underwear. Remember that when he was the spokesperson? It was jockey, right? Yeah. I believe so. He was always wearing that underwear on TV. I thought you were Fruit of the Loom. It was Fruit of the Loom? I think. Oh, I don't even know. We're going to get a lot of emails about this. (laughs) I thought you were about to throw it to a MeUndies ad for us. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well... Following the donning of the underwear, Mormons were then required to take a long series of oaths. The first oath was the Law of Obedience, in which women swore to obey their husbands 
and men swore to obey God. Convenient! Isn't that something? This was the Mormons' end-around way to later guarantee that their wives would go along with whatever polygamist relations might come about, because the men were only obeying the dictates of God when they married and had sex with other women. It's of not co- me, baby, it's I, God! I want to see someone try to explain this to their wife now, when they get back from Las Vegas and he is covered in herpes. Listen, this is, this is, these aren't sores, these are called angels' kisses. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't lose money. I tithed it to Vegas. Isn't that something? Remember that when we said, oh, we're in love. We don't have to sign a prenup. Well, you're going to regret that. (laughs) There's nothing left. You don't even need a prenup. (laughs) And interestingly, although establishment Mormons renounced polygamy long ago, again saying, God changed his mind. Swish, 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 swish. To this day... When a woman gets a divorce in a Mormon church, she is required to undergo a ritual in which she cancels her previous marriage. And I bet you that must be super simple Uh, and easy going to go through. Oh, yeah. Canceled. However, men are required to do no such thing, which means by Mormon belief that a man who marries multiple times due to either divorce or the death of their spouse will have multiple wives waiting in the celestial kingdom when he dies, bound by oath to do his bidding for all eternity. It almost seems like Mormon heaven is only heaven for men and kind of hell for women. Interesting, Kissel. Yeah. That's weird. It seems like you're right exactly fucking correct. (laughs) Right on the nose. It's funny how they keep just taking these basic beliefs. Yeah, they can reform. And they do reform. Yeah. They're trying to they're trying to modernize. They're trying to keep their religion alive. But every single time they do it, they just take the secret lessons and they bury it a fucking foot deeper. Mm-hmm. And each time it gets deeper and deeper and it just gets deeper and deeper. Deeper, <laughs> deeper. But every single time it gets it becomes even more ingrained into the actual kind of like reptile brain mm-hmm. of the people living it. Because you don't even know that you're still exercising and living the initial wishes of Joseph Smith, even though you're being told we're getting modernized now. Mm. All of this, that's all in the past. That's all the goofy shit. You're still doing it. You're still practicing the old ideas. Mm. They're just hidden. But perhaps the most infamous of the oaths that were a part of this ritual until 1990 were the penalty oaths. Uh Uh-oh. Taken directly from Masonic ritual, the participant is given a Mormon name of the Aaronic Priesthood and is sworn to keep Mormon secrets under threat of penalty. And that penalty was death. Well, that's a little strict, sir. <laughs> could we just have maybe like three slaps on the wrist to yeah. start? And- okay, let me check. Yeah, I could do a thing called half death. No, I fucking can't. You die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The oath was sealed when the initiate placed their thumb under their left ear and quickly drew it across their throat, then dropped their hand to their side while reciting this. We covenant and promise that we will not reveal any secrets of this, the first token of the Aaronic Priesthood. Should we do so, we agree that our throats be cut from ear to ear and our tongues torn out by their roots. I thought you were going to say they had to say, rest in peace. (laughs) Like the undertaker. Well, after that, they took an oath to obey the law of gospel, which bans, quote, light-mindedness, loud laughter, evil speaking of the Lord's anointed, the taking of the name of God in vain, and every other 
unholy and impure practice. They all sound like rules made by someone who is hungover. <laughs> I don't want to hear you laughing right now. I cannot. They all just sound like someone who has very audible sensitivity at this point. But you wouldn't get to this endowment ritual if they hadn't already. They went over your records. You have to be the purest of pure Mormon that truly is a believer of this shit. The only reason why I got to see the endowment ritual was because whoever filmed it must have gone so deep undercover because you have to be a good boy for years. Like you have to Mm. really walk the walk tightly like you it's like being like fucking mata hari yeah mormon temples you can't just go into a mormon temple like not even more mormons can just go into a mormon temple when i walked by the mormon temple in utah they actively rejected me so yes i believe that <laughs> well after that oath they're given the robes of the ironic priesthood and are made to take a second penalty oath which says that they are to have their heart ripped from their chest and eaten by birds should they divulge secrets and on and on it goes through the robes of the melchizedek priesthood the law of chastity and two more penalty oaths that say that if a mormon divulges secrets their body should be cut asunder in the midst and all their bowels gush out <laughs> <laughs> And as they did this, they moved from one room to the next in the temple, which echoed the Masonic practice of moving up in degrees. Mm. Except Joseph called it progressing from grace to grace. And the Masonic parallels don't end there. Both initiation rituals feature the initiate being in underwear, both give the initiates new names, and both feature an oath in which the throat is cut and the tongue is torn out, should secrets be divulged. Mm. All of which which are cult techniques. Yeah. Putting you in a specific thing to wear puts you in a specific mental state. Mm -hmm. Giving you a new name literally takes your old identity and fucking gets rid of it. But also, this Mm -hmm. is a secret name. Like, this isn't your new public name. This is a name that you're supposed to keep and remember forever. So this isn't on your name tag if you have a job at McDonald's. You're not like Caesar the Eighth. I mean, you could (laughs) if your name is like you can go back and be like, yeah, my Mormon name is Aaron. I'm just going to keep Aaron. <laughs> okay, I see. But this whole ritual you're supposed to do again once you reach the celestial doors of heaven. When you die, you're going to do this ritual again that is going to allow you to then move to the next level, which is the you get your planet. Man, I just that is not my idea of heaven. My idea of heaven is just like a big old Caesar's palace, and I win every time I play the slots. Every blackjack, every time I play blackjack, it's a blackjack. Sir, I have a Twilight Zone episode you need to watch <laughs> because that man discovered that that heaven soon became a hell. Yeah, dude. Yeah, Rod Sterling lied about a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm just about to say you're about to, you're starting becoming Atlantic City Ant Ben. This is what this happens. Like. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be unfair to say that the Mormon endowment ritual is damn near the exact same as the Freemason initiate ritual, except for a few changes in wording right down to the five points of fellowship. In this Freemason ritual within a ritual, the candidate and the master touch each other on five points. Inside of right foot to inside of right foot, right knee to right knee, breast to breast, left hand to back, and mouth to ear. 
What kind of juggalo festival is this? Can we do it, Marcus? <laughs> I think we can. Let me try to stand up and do it. All right. So the boys are standing up now. They're going to attempt to do it. This is extremely awkward because Marcus is like a stick and Henry is an egg. Okay, they have done it. They are... And and that is very uncomfortable. Okay, it has been completed. So I do believe you guys are one step closer to heaven. I he, do love being a sweat. He that he loves me. Oh, that's very nice. It was our secret, Marcus. Well, now it's my secret. I like to call it a sweaty snake of brotherhood. Yeah, that was very uh, interesting. Not easy to do. I wonder how they even came up with such a bizarre uh, collaboration. You should see all the handshakes. They're very fun. Yeah. I, I've studied the handshakes of many different cultures and... Uh, I just stick with the fist bump. You've studied the handshakes of many different cultures? I don't know how to do handshakes, so I did YouTube like cool handshakes because I like it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. One little part of the ritual, though, that is important is the veil. So at the very end, you're supposed to approach this giant curtain where you literally open it up, and it's about... The passing through is incredibly important. Okay. Because what the you're someone acts like God on one side of the curtain. You do the handshakes through the curtain at God, and again, you're going to repeat this when you die. And then all of a sudden, you do see a large erect penis come through, and you're like, "Is this a glory hole?" <laughs> yeah. Welcome yeah. to Utah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, Joseph fully admitted to stealing from the Freemasons, but he spun it by saying that the Masonic ritual was a corruption of the ancient ritual of Solomon. And then Smith, he was just restoring it to the true Hebraic endowment. Mm. But the initiation is only the half of it. The second half was the ritual drama. In this, church leaders reenact the creation of Earth and the fall of Adam in a fun little play that takes place in a series of rooms where each scene is depicted. In the early days, Joseph Smith played God, his brother Hiram was Christ, George Miller was the Holy Ghost, and W.W. W. Phelps crawled around on his stomach, hissing, playing the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Hey, Joe, what if I played the snake in, in the play? No, W, I don't. I don't want you to do that. Would be silly. <laughs> oh, but I just wanted to be a part of the special, the special endowment ritual. All right, you do it. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> Whoa. I'm the devil. I'm the devil. <laughs> You're the best damn snake I've ever seen. And once the drama reached the point where Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, the actors would don tiny robes that were exact replicas of Masonic aprons, except the robes were painted with little green fig leaves. Then the initiate would be taught all the necessary secret handshakes, passwords, and hand signals before he was given his secret name, which was inevitably taken from either the New Testament or, more likely, the Book of Mormon. And remember, this was not just some wacky shit that the Mormons did in Nauvoo in the early days. This ceremony was performed exactly as we just described it, along with a whole lot of other ancillary shit, until 1990. Mitt Romney performed this ritual. Hey, man, honestly, it's the coolest thing I've ever heard that he's ever done. <laughs> I would like to see him try to pull this stuff off. Maybe Mitt Romney was the snake. <laughs> I am a snake. A hiss. Hiss. <laughs> no, you hiss. know what? W used to do it a lot better. Could you just be like... Like, make the actual hiss sound. You don't have to say hiss, Mitt. My only concern is that I am i am not a snake. No, Mitt, Mitt, you're acting like a snake, you see. But hmm, how can someone act and be something that they are not? That is trickery. That is lying. It's acting. It's, can that you is, give Wait a second. So I could say something that I don't mean, even though I guess I'm getting into politics. Nailed it, Mitt. Nailed it. 
But in the common Mormon practice of changing with the times, the church removed the penalties in 1990 along with a lot of the Masonic elements after word of their creepy rituals started getting out. Because I think the Mormons started thinking like, we're going to need to get into politics here pretty soon. We're going to need some people in power. We can't be doing the penalty ho- oaths anymore. <laughs> we can't be. Because it really, I mean, it's kind of what people thought about Mitt Romney. It was kind of the same shit people thought about John F. Kennedy. It's like, is he going to be loyal to the United States right. or to the Pope? Yeah. Because yeah. John JFK was the only Catholic president. He's yeah. a member of a fucking cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mormonism probably cost him the election. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As it should have. Well, <laughs> and speaking of creepy, the endowment ritual is not even close to the only Mormon ritual still performed to this day. One that many of you may have heard of is the infamous baptism of the dead. Originally, this rite was meant to bring dead family members like parents and grandparents into the faith if they happened to die before they heard the good word of Joseph Smith. Like, say you get into Mormonism, you think this is fucking fantastic, but both your parents, your grandparents are dead. What's going to happen to them? You know what? We can do the baptism of the dead. What this ritual is supposed to do is send a little message to the baptized spirit in the afterlife, send a little note, and wherever that spirit may be, this message gives them the choice as to whether they want to be a post-mortem Mormon or not. So I'm sitting up there in my heaven, playing my slot machines, winning every single time, <laughs> and all of a sudden I get whisked away to Mormon heaven, no, where I just have to sit there and it, have a horrible, it, horrible time? It only gives you the choice. The answer's no! <laughs> no, you get no. an invite. A nice young man will show up and be like, Mr. Kissel, you seem to be, huh? you've been digging the Lord's name in vain quite a bit of that slot machine. <laughs> yeah, because I celebrate by saying, God damn it, another win! <laughs> Sir, uh, you're drinking a lot of coffee, and I seem to notice there is about seven Bud Light Limes in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you want to, you know what, I'm just going to skip it, I'm going to leave. Yeah, why don't you get the hell out of here? <laughs> but more recently, the Mormons expanded this ritual from ancestors to include celebrities and historical figures. You can't. You can't do that. They do. You can. They did. But you can't. You can and they did. Oh, God. In 2017, a researcher discovered that the Mormons baptized Humphrey Bogart and Marilyn Monroe, as well as the ancestors of Kim Kardashian, Trump, Pence, Biden, Hillary Clinton, and Steven Spielberg. Uh, You can't. No. No, you don't get them. Those are ours. Although you can have a couple of those. But we'll take Spielberg. I think that Stephen King has about four books that are about early short stories that are about how the afterlife is filled with classic rock guys. And I think at some point they got so jealous of heaven, our heaven, being having like... Prince, yeah. Jeffrey Epstein. That they really wanted to I make don't sure. Know about I don't think Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know what you're talking about with I that mean, one. He could have threw a Hail Mary right there. <laughs> but they, I, they got so jealous of fun heaven. They wanted to get some people over on their heaven because think about how cool just fucking Humphrey Honestly, Bogart's though, planet would be. Just all grumpy, ugh. him sucking, him sucking on scotch and talking about it's bad how you can't smack actresses on the butt anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure he has some interesting racial ideas as well. As a matter of fact. He might agree with the Mormons on that. So who knows? He might enjoy it up there. (laughs) Well, there have also been attempts to Mormonize both Charles Manson and Stephen Paddock. But as of 2017, both of those people were roundly rejected by church leaders because their spirits were deemed, quote, 
Not ready. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) But what really pissed people off was when the Mormons posthumously baptized hundreds of thousands of Holocaust victims in the 90s. Oh, my God. In the 90s they did this? However, the church defended the move, saying the ritual only gave spirits the choice to be Mormons, conveniently forgetting the long history the Jews have of being forced through violence and torture to convert to Christianity. Oh, God. Okay. This is what I'm going to call an unforced error. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why do this? Yeah. Don't know why they wanted to do it. I guess they just wanted as many Mormons as possible. It's something fun to do. But it's also, it's a, it's a fun ritual for the kids. because it binds Wait, hold the, on. What? No, seriously. It binds the kids to the religion. Because they, I think they baptized something like 150,000 uh, Holocaust victims. They definitely baptized Anne Frank. But for every single one of those people Ugh. they baptized, you have to have kids. You have to have stand-ins. You have to have proxies. So this is a ritual for them to do. It's like a church activity. It's like today we're going to baptize. 10 Holocaust victims. Man, you can do a lot with macaroni, too. You can make, like, macaroni crosses. We just did hand turkeys in the Macarena. That was all we did yeah. in fucking, in, in fucking uh, confirmation camp. But these kids get shipped out. They go to the temples, and I think that you're right. I guess it also partially, because the temple is a place where you go, and you are truly, because of the grandeur of the architecture, you're supposed to feel like you are actually in God's house. Yeah. Mm. And so you're getting them. It's normalizing. It's like like you're getting used to the temple. Well, you also, you get to go to the temple again. You get to do the endowment ceremony again because for a lot of Mormons, for a lot of Mormons, the endowment ceremony is the most beautiful, most spiritual experience of their lives. It's fantastic. And when you do the baptism of the dead, you get to do it again. Okay. Now, after Joseph Smith established these rituals, he started getting a little more selfish and a little more worldly with his revelations. In January of 1841, Joseph told his people that God had commanded the Mormons to build a hotel. <laughs> He's right, man. You got to flip that property. He technically was probably listening to, I think, was it, is it... Uh, Suzanne Powder. Yeah, perhaps (laughs) Suzanne Powder, yes. And strangely enough, God got pretty detailed with the business side of things as far as how much Joseph Smith should receive profit-wise. This is his actual revelation. And they shall not receive less than $50 for a share of stock in that house, and they shall be permitted to receive $15,000 from any one man for stock in that house, but they shall not be permitted to receive over $15,000 from any one man. And if they do appropriate any portion of that stock anywhere else, only in that house, without the consent of the stockholder, and do not repay fourfold for the stock for which they appropriate anywhere else, only in that house they shall be accursed and shall be moved out of their place, saith the Lord God, for I, the Lord, am God and cannot be mocked in any of these things. And there shall be a water slide. <laughs> oh, I love that. And lotion in every room, I hope. There better be. There better be. I know. Honestly, it's, not, it's not happening as much as it used to. I got a, cur- I got a wife correction. Natalie listened to the last side stories, and she has to push back. She says she has used the lotion in the bathrooms 
for actual purposes, not just us masturbating. That yeah. it has a it has a purpose. Yes, okay. it, yes, people do actually. That is not. Do you think that's actually what it is? That, that it is, is our truly, theory. <laughs> it's not a theory. It's not it's a there. Fact. It's not there for men to masturbate. That's, that's all I've ever seen anybody use it for. <laughs> I've never actually seen anyone bathe themselves in lotion. They don't bathe themselves. People use lotion to moisturize their skin. That's, I understand what the theoretical point is. Um, <laughs> yes, but I lotion mean, is not specifically. They don't have entire aisles just for masturbation aids. Yeah. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, push back a little bit on that. And of course, that revelation also made sure that Joseph had a suite of rooms all to himself forever and always. Isn't that fun? The prophet needs a fucking space. He needs to sit. He needs to think. He needs to get his revelations. He needs that fucking... You know how many rooms it takes to put seven wives in there? So he gave himself the penthouse suite. Yes, he did. But Joseph was not just busying himself with mundane creature comforts. He was also sending missionaries not west to the frontier, but east to Europe. There, the Mormons found thousands of willing converts right here in England. And if you're wondering how, just know that the urban living situation in what is now the UK was not exactly what you'd call optimal. I'm just going to say this, and I don't want to be rude to any of the European people, but... I'm assuming they got over here and the European is just like, you mean to tell me you can wash my balls? Because my balls have not been washed in 35 years. <laughs> if, if, you, if I could, I do this and you wash my pecker and my balls? All right. It's weird you didn't even do an English accent. I don't know how to do an English accent. <laughs> how, what does an English accent sound like? Do it. I'll have a coffee. <laughs> okay. That's actually bad. Hello, Kissel. Hello, Benjamin Kissel. Hello, Benjamin Kissel. I'll have a coffee. Yeah, you're getting there. <laughs> no, my only impression, it will always be, what about dark? <laughs> well, what about call me now? Call me now. <laughs> All right, I got to. Well, since it was such a festering hellhole over here, at least in all the urban centers, which we definitely found out in our tour of uh, Edinburgh, Ugh. we found out just how fucking awful it was to live in the cities of uh, the UK at the time. The idea that you could go to America and live in a nice town by the river in Illinois, that was just about the best fucking deal you were going to get all day. Marcus and Henry informed me of their tour in Edinburgh, and I just have to say, do do some research on that. Seems like living hell. Yeah. And I really was surprised to hear about it. So English converts started coming over the Atlantic by the thousands. Interestingly, though, the only place in England that the Mormons couldn't gain traction was right here in London. From the way the Mormon missionaries wrote, not a single person was converted in this city, while the rest of the country provided the Mormons with 8,000 new converts by 1844. It was about two or three years. Okay. It's almost like they're from a huge city and they could smell bullshit for miles away. <laughs> and things were going pretty damn good in Nauvoo as well while all this was happening. In fact, this could be described as the good times for the Mormon religion during Joseph Smith's lifetime. See, Illinois was nowhere near as harsh as Missouri, so Nauvoo was granted a town charter. Meanwhile, Joseph Smith was becoming a national character. The Hans Mill massacre had kind of propelled him into the spotlight, and the day-to-day -day wacky goings-on of the Mormon cult became a favorite subject in papers like the New York Tattler and the Boston Bee. I love Why don't we have those names? Any the Tattler, the Bee? What was the other one? The Militia Axe? Uh, no, the Philadelphia Battle Axe. Oh, so cool, awesome. man. And there was another one that was just called The Wasp. And their biggest and their biggest writer was just named 
Vortex. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> it's fucking metal, man. It just sounds like a, a leather club. <laughs> I think it sounds like a, a hacker zine. Yeah. <laughs> and most people looked at the Mormons with good humor, especially, like I said, after what happened in Missouri. The editor for the New York Herald, who followed the Mormons as closely as we used to follow Lord Rael, wrote this. There's some good in every sect of religion, and we give fair support to all, from Pope of Rome to Joe Smith. All we ask in return for our reports is a good cool seat, bench, or location when the end of the world comes and the everlasting bonfire begins. I love them. Yeah, it's just a nice little fun wink and a nod. They were just fun characters. And there was plenty of goofiness for these papers to cover. Once Smith got more attention, people started pulling pranks. Three men cut six copper plates, and their buddies filled those plates with fanciful writing, like all kinds of hieroglyphics and Hebrew and Greek and all kinds of shit. And then they used acid to corrode the metal to make it look old. Then they buried the sheets near a Native American burial ground and spread the word around Nauvoo that one of the men had dreamed of buried treasure three nights in a row and that he'd appreciate help from such seasoned treasure hunters as the Mormons. This is what people did before they were addicted to young Sheldon. You have to go and make your own fun. Yeah. No, at first the Mormons were skeptical because this was about the fourth or fifth major prank that had been pulled in their <laughs> yes. expense. Yes. But their suspicion vanished the moment they saw the seemingly authentic plates for themselves. And they begged for permission to take the plates to Joseph Smith. Oh, my God. You can just imagine him looking at this shit, just being like, you don't think I don't know this fucking scam? <laughs> you don't think I invented this scam? It's like, all right, bring me the plates. <laughs> I'll look at it. It's funny how you can even look at these plates. The plates I had made your brain explode. <laughs> <laughs> it could be that Joseph Smith knew that this was a hoax, or it could be that word was reaching Joseph that the Rosetta Stone had finally been deciphered, meaning the days of reformed Egyptian were getting... Pretty fucking short. Ah. Either way, Joseph went no further than just placating his people because he couldn't say, like, are oh, you fucking moron? What are you doing bringing me this shit for? What do you think I'm doing? This is old school, all right? I am <laughs> channeling the hermetic old tea god. All right, let me look at this. All right, I'll look at a paragraph of it. <laughs> Oh, this is just a, this is just a TV guide. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph said he translated just a portion and said that the plates were merely the history of the person buried in that mound. He was a descendant of Ham, which he's like, this is interesting, but it is not a discovery on par with the mummies that inspired the book of Abraham. But still, even though people liked Joseph Smith, negative press tended to stick. Mm. One person who no doubt had heard Samson Avard's testimony accused Joseph of sanctioning theft against his neighbors in a practice that Joseph supposedly called milking the Gentiles. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that. But it seemed like Joseph preferred to read the positive stories, which is all well and good. But after a while, Joseph started to believe the hype. Emboldened by the positivity, Joseph Smith and the Mormons dove into polygamy. Muff deep. Whoa. Now, polygamy began in earnest with Mitt Romney's grandfather, Parley Pratt, in 1840, but only in a spiritual sense. See, Pratt's first wife had died, and Pratt had since remarried. But he was worried about what would happen when he went to heaven, and both wives were there waiting. Like, what if one time on an anniversary... 
They, I told them to meet me at the same restaurant for a date, but I told one at 7 and the other 7.30, and then I'd have to wear a mustache with one date and then run into the bathroom and change and come to the other date in a sort of Mrs. Doubtfire set of farcical circumstances. So he was worried about his wives being catty in heaven? Just what was going to happen? Like, what was what's going to happen? Like, how can I be loyal to both wives while in heaven? What's going to happen there? How is God going to look upon this? Oh. Essentially, that was more what it was about. It's like, how is God going to look upon me having two wives in heaven? How does that work on the planet, Joseph? How does that work? Uh Well, Joseph assured Parley that God allowed for multiple marriages, as per his reading of Exodus, and that they would all live happily ever after for all eternity on their own planet near Kolob. But this seemingly innocent proclamation designed to comfort his friend must have seemed like a fucking lightning bolt of an idea to the horny Joseph Smith. Now, Joseph never dared preach polygamy out in the open because he knew that if the Mormons were officially polygamous, the fledgling religion would never survive. So Joseph took a sideways street towards supporting the practice by publishing a pamphlet by a non-Mormon named Udney H. Jacob, who defended polygamy as a solution to marital incompatibility. That's basically what it said. This whole document is all about how you got a fat wife. Get a new one. <laughs> you got a dumpy husband? Sorry. Oh. That's how it goes. And there's some people that say that Udney H. Jacob might be Joseph Smith under a pseudonym. Maybe. But which mm. you don't know. I feel like, the, the, I mean, I wouldn't put it past him because he really loves playing mind games and he was very, very good at it. But we, we, we don't know for sure. Well, on the back of the pamphlet, it said publisher J. Smith. Ah. And the gist of the pamphlet was that for a Christian, divorce wasn't an option because nobody in the Bible ever got divorced. But, Udney wrote, some men were nonetheless cursed with unpleasant wives whom they no longer loved. And since sex without love is a sin... Udney argued that having sex with a spouse you didn't love was a sin as well. And he even had a name for it. He called it fornicating in the wife. (laughs) My goodness, do not search that on Pornhub. Well, the solution to fornicating in the wife, Udney wrote, was to just stop fucking the wife you hated and marry again, while still forcing everybody to live in the same home. And that's how you exalt the Lord and find happiness. Isn't that just what broke up the marriage between Maria Shriver and Arnold Schwarzenegger? No. I'm pretty certain that was no. it. That was called fornicating in the maid. Ah, <laughs> not good. Now, the Udney pamphlet was published in 1842, but Joseph Smith had already begun what he called plural marriage almost a year before, when the 36-year-old Joseph Smith married 26-year-old Louisa Beeman. By the time the pamphlet was published, though, Smith had already married Lucinda Harris, Prescindia Buell, Zena Huntington Jacobs, Mary Rollins Leitner, Patty Sessions, Clarissa Hancock, Sally Gully, Nancy Hyde, and a woman only known as Mrs. Durfee. Which was Robin Williams <laughs> in a dress. <laughs> oh my, so he he got a he got a a bevy right away. Many, many women. Oh my goodness. The oldest of Joseph's wives was fifty-nine. The youngest, fifteen. He also married five pairs of sisters, and in one case, married both a mother and a daughter. 
But what really got him in trouble was when he married other men's wives without the husbands knowing that Joseph was doing it. Oh, they didn't like that, huh? Well, it was very scary. Your pastor, the prophet, you'd come on this one story of a one dude who came home to find his wife and Joseph Smith having dinner, where he's just like, yeah, let me uh, tell you about this uh, new arrangement I've invented. It's called uh, sitting on a tripod. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, some Mormons claim to this day that all of Joseph's marriages were entirely spiritual, with consummation left to the eternal state, as they put it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that makes oh, a lot of sense. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm a betting man, and that's what I would put my money on. But quite a few sworn statements from Joseph's wives prove that Smith did not wait for death to fuck. What? I can't believe it. But the thing was, a lot of Mormons didn't like the idea of plural marriage. Most early Mormons thought this was fucking weird and a really bad idea. In fact, Joseph Smith's own brother, Don Carlos, was quoted as saying, Any man who will preach and practice spiritual wifery will go to hell, no matter if it is my brother Joseph. In fact, even Brigham Young, who eventually had well over 50 wives, mm. had to be cajoled into participating. It's him just going, come on, Brigham, you don't <laughs> yeah. want to marry more wives. No, I don't think I do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I... All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, it took years for Joseph to convince Brigham Young that this was a good idea. And Brigham finally agreed, or at least the story goes, that Brigham finally agreed while he and Joseph were watching a funeral procession. And Brigham told Joseph that he would rather be in that fucking coffin than be a polygamist. But he would do it if God and Joseph commanded. Ah, interesting. At least that's what the story is. But once Brigham said yes, he went all in. Yeah, you think somebody was hesitant. Or maybe you have, like, one extra one. <laughs> yeah. Or two extra Some wives. reservations. A, l- a couple of reservations, perhaps. 56 or 57. Oh. I'm not sure which one it is. It's 56 or 57 wives that Brigham Young eventually had. He went all in. Well, surprisingly, quite a few Mormon women took to plural marriage as well, because plural marriage did not bind a woman specifically to one man. That meant that while one man was off on missionary work, the church widow, as they were called, could still have a warm bed with her other husband. And this was under the church clause fuck party, (laughs) which is very fun. I wonder how sexual these relationships were. I think that obviously they were having sex for procreation, but it did seem like they do kind of mention, they hint at that this was also about sex for pleasure, that this was about like keeping people satisfied and keeping them within the religion. Yeah, it was also, it was uh, sex was exalting God. You know, it was uh, because Mm -hmm. it was believed that God was a man. And if God was a man, then that meant that God had all of the same urges as a man. Therefore, it must be true that God likes to fuck because men like to fuck. Hey, like a, man. Look at look at the rock band Poison. Like, imagine <laughs> if Jeff Goldblum was God and he just happened to know that he needed to marry as many PAs as he was around as humanly possible and handpick his several wives from his jazz show that he does in Los Angeles. Trick question. Jeff Goldblum is God. <laughs> what this also meant, that any woman who left her husband to join Mormonism could remarry without a divorce, without worrying about the spiritual implications of such an action. But one woman who never took to polygamy was Emma Smith. 
Yeah, man, it's hard <sighs> to share. It's hard to share the profit. That's your fucking husband. That's fucking. That's the number one guy. That was supposed to be your king. Yeah, you're his queen, and you're supposed to be there, one for each other. I already backed you up through all of this fucking horseshit. We've already fought a war. Now you're having sex with a 15-year-old? Yeah. And remember, Emma Smith was, she's about the only one there who knew Joseph Smith before the Golden Plates. And at this point, she is the only one who knew Joseph Smith before even like the founding of Mormonism because everyone else who had translated the Golden Plates had all either been excommunicated for talking shit Mm -hmm. about Joseph or had just left on their own. So Emma has a completely different idea of who Joseph Smith is than anybody else in this cult. Despite the fact that now he is being a Netflix television producer. One of the very cute things about the relationship between Barack and Michelle Obama is that Michelle would look at Barack sometimes like, I know you're that nerdy kid I met in college. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like everyone's like going crazy for you now, but like she kept him down and I thought that was very cute. Yeah. Not she didn't keep him down. She kept him grounded. Grounded. Yes. Exactly. Well, Emma absolutely loathed the idea of polygamy. And in fact, Joseph Smith kept many of his plural marriages a secret from his wife before he properly convinced her that this had been God's will all along. It wasn't until 1843 that Emma finally accepted polygamy. And even then, she said that she would only sign off on a new marriage if she herself chose the women, which became a kind of Mormon tradition afterwards. No, I saw, this is the preamble to one of those Mormon girls videos I saw. <laughs> uh-huh. The wife just picks, it seems to be always like, it's a girl who's in pigtails and seems to be lost or looking for a babysitting job. It is interesting how, like, your research and Marcus's research, like, just, there's some times where it goes into different directions. Marcus does historical fact. I do cultural implications. <laughs> But when Emma did finally choose two women for Joseph, turned out Joseph had already married them. Jesus Christ. She knew him better than he knew himself. (laughs) That is when you look at your wife and you laugh together and you say you are the one. You get me. You get me. But to, quote, save family trouble, everyone just went through the motions and had another ceremony without telling Emma that they'd already done the ceremony two months earlier. He oh. really is running an improv school. <laughs> he is understanding. Everybody's just rolling with the Herald yeah. every single time. They're like, like the old surprised eyes, Emma looking at the girl, a girl looking at Joseph, and they'll be like, and let's just get... Married. <laughs> How many times did Joseph have the sentence go through his head? How the fuck am I going to get out of this? <laughs> every day. Oh. Every day. I imagine he, if there are times. Uh, the problem is that now he's really starting to believe in himself. Yeah. Before, even through the Mormon wars, I think that he woke up every day like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. They're going to kill me. Yeah. They're going to kill me now. But now, I think he's been on the money so many times right. that he is starting to really believe I have tapped into something. I I might be the prophet. Well, he's a celebrity he now. Like He is a national celebrity at this point. He is definitely starting to believe his own bullshit. Otherwise, he would not have had the courage to go as far with Mormonism as he actually did. You see how one late night set changed some of our friends back in the day? <laughs> I know it. <laughs> now, Emma must have discovered what had happened with the wives that she chose eventually because those wives were run out of Nauvoo by Emma herself just a few months after the second ceremony. Uh Uh-oh. 
And it seems like Emma's reticence was a bit of a strain on Joseph Smith. Yeah, it's a fucking bummer. <laughs> wow. So to help with the load, Joseph's brother Hiram told Joseph that he could convince Emma that polygamy was good and right. You see, Joseph did have a revelation about polygamy, but he'd never written it down because written evidence removed plausible deniability. Mm. See, Joseph had told associates that an angel had appeared to him three times between 1834 and 1842 before Joseph finally agreed to become a polygamist. But Hiram was convinced that all Joseph had to do to convince Emma was to write down what the angels had said clearly. And then Emma would be convinced. Because Hiram told him, like, you're not framing it right. You got to mm. frame it right. You got to okay. really spell it out. And then, of course, <laughs> Emma's going to see. She's going to realize that it makes sense. And she's going to get it. And not only is she going to get it, she's going to be super into it, bro. Yeah. Hiram, sure, you do sound like a, you, you have the name of someone who wets himself every day at noon. You're trying to yes. convince your yeah. wife to do a threesome. Yes. Like, no, bro. Every woman wants to do it, man. Yeah. No, I know you're married and I'm single. and like, I'm not dating anybody. Like, I'm fucking alone like forever but you dude you got a wife you could flip this dude flip it you just fucking show her how every chick likes boobies man (laughs) well when Hiram tried to convince Joseph that yeah everything's gonna be cool everything's gonna be fine all you gotta do is write out the revelation she'll be down for it Joseph smiled and said quote (laughs) you do not know Emma as well as I do But still, Hiram pushed, and eventually Joseph wrote down the whole kit and caboodle, perhaps going a little too far and including a personal commandment for Emma, because it had worked before. According to the Revelation, Emma must, quote, Receive all those that have been given unto my servant Joseph, and to cleave unto my servant Joseph, and to no one else. And if she will not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. And also, Joseph deserves a pool table. Yes. (laughs) In his own personal man cave with a kegerator. (laughs) (laughs) And so Hiram, who'd taken to polygamy like a fucking duck to water... I fucking love that man, dude. There's so much fucking, there's catering, which I fucking dig. Yeah. I learned what a charger plate is. That's super cool. Three plates for no fucking reason, dude. Why not? He said, fuck yeah, Joseph. You fucking nailed it, bro. I'm taking this over to Emma right now. She's going to turn that frown upside down. Uh-huh. You, you really think so? Bro, this could be more of a fucking lock if I didn't get a padlock from a hardware store, my friend. <laughs> but when Hiram returned... Hours later, he told Joseph that he had never been so abused by a woman, (laughs) to which Joseph said, quote, I told you, you don't know Emma as well as I do. (laughs) Because, bro, it's like... She was super mad. (laughs) Like, I laid out all this shit, and she was like... Fucking confused about what the Lord told you, dude. But even so... Sadly, Emma soon relented with all the resignation of a cult leader's wife. She told a friend that the revelation said she must submit or be destroyed, so she guessed she'd have to submit. Mm. That's exactly what she said. She said, I guess I'll have to submit. Like, just totally resigned to this whole day. Like, I'm in this. I married him. I've got a family with I've got, I think at this point, yet they had three kids together. Like, right. yeah, this is my life. 
He's not going to change, so I guess I fucking have to. But they had four dead babies, right? And they ended up adopting more. At that point. They were trying to have babies, and it was very difficult. I think that she saw the writing on the wall that knew that Joseph Smith, if he was going so far as to put in his bullshit revelation that she would be destroyed is that like okay so he has decided that this is a must do like he has decided that this is now a part of it and it does weirdly reflect on the hermetics because in the 14 and 1500s uh, alchemists often had plural marriages that Mm. was like a thing that they've always talked about about how it was a part of going into heaven that it was the idea of bringing a harem of women into with you into the afterlife Hmm. but she also knew weirdly joseph smith had a habit of being correct about saying people would get destroyed. Yeah. There was a there was one story that after the w- words of wisdom passed, he told this guy who was who had been working for two years. He said, "I give you permission. You ought to go out and get drunk tonight. You are going to go get drunk and party all night and come back because if not, you will die." You want and, me to party like all night long? Not you, Kissel. No. <laughs> Kissel, you, sure you just keep going. Me? You can't be me? Just, oh, Kissel, you're a funny guy. Uh, <laughs> Go party, Kissel. Have a good time. You won't you. die, though. But the other guy legitimately went, and he didn't do it. He's like, no, I won't. I, yeah. will, not, I will not do that. And he fucking died Jeez. two weeks later. So there's kinds of, these kinds of things kind of seem to manifest around Joseph Smith. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, since absolute power corrupts absolutely... It is without a doubt that some of these plural marriages were coerced, as is evidenced by the testimony of a feisty 18-year-old English girl named Martha Brotherton. She said that Brigham Young cornered her in a room above Joseph's store and told her that Smith had a revelation from God that it is right for a man to have two wives, and if she married Brigham, he'd take her to the celestial kingdom. And if she was game, Joseph would come upstairs and marry them that night. Then they would consummate their marriage. She could go home to her parents afterwards, and her parents wouldn't have to know a single thing about it. Mm. I've also heard we do not have to get married if we just do it up the butt. (laughs) (laughs) Martha emphatically said no, so Brigham called Joseph upstairs for the hard sell. Joseph said with a smile that she should just do it. Just do it. And if you don't like it in a month or two, I'll make you free. Adding, quote, If he turns you off, I will take you on. Finally, they let her go home unmolested, and the first thing she did when she got there was to write down the whole episode. And when she showed it to her parents, they got on the first steamer to St. Louis and published the whole story in a local paper. Wow. But again, Joseph got ahead of the story by talking to his people first, calling Martha a liar and an adulterer, making sure to publicly add that polygamy was evil, and the Mormons would never even think of practicing it. Wouldn't even think about it. And shame on you! That's, I wouldn't even fucking think, think about that. I would yeah. definitely not have, like, 17 specific wives. No, <laughs> wouldn't even think about that. And that was all well and good for most Mormons, because the Brothertons were new converts. They weren't, nobody knew who the fuck the Brothertons were. They'd just come over from England. Mm. But that wasn't the case when Joseph Smith started pursuing Sidney Rigdon's 19-year-old daughter, Nancy. Joseph went full court press on his advisor's young daughter, writing a long love letter punctuated with defenses of polygamy. But when Nancy showed her father the letter, Joseph claimed he was just 
testing Nancy's virtue. Yeah, oh. I just wanted to see if she'd do it. You know what I mean? And yeah. then, oh, then I would spank her nude. I would bathe her immediately if I saw yeah. that she dared sleep with me. That's that's my daughter you're talking about. I'd bathe and I'd make sure all the devils were out of her vagina and out of her uh-huh. buttocks and I would do it thoroughly. I'm going to punch you in the fucking nose. Warranted. <laughs> you got me. But what really put Mormon polygamy into the forefront nationwide was the excommunication of John Bennett. See, Bennett had made fast friends with Joseph Smith and had risen to the rank of number one guy after only a year and a half. But there had to be a sacrificial lamb for the Sydney Rigdon fiasco. So Bennett was excommunicated for allegedly spreading lies about the prophet because Joseph said Bennett was the one who had spread the word about the saucy letter. And so Bennett figured, fuck this guy, and started telling everything he knew about Mormons to the press and made sure to make up a whole bunch of extra shit to make the story even better. Bennett claimed that Joseph Smith had set up a system of religious prostitution in which the women were divided up into three categories. The Cyprian saints, the chambered sisters of charity, and the cloistered saints. Wild. Yeah, I mean, that's fun. Those are three fun groups. Oh, yeah. Basically, Bennett said that the sole purpose of these women was to be incentives for the men of the church hierarchy to climb higher in the church. Because the higher you climbed, the better the quality of woman. Although Joseph always got first pick. Now, it's highly unlikely that this system ever existed. It is possible that Joseph Smith maybe bandied about the idea because Mm. him and Bennett talked about absolutely everything. But there's no evidence whatsoever outside of Bennett's claims that any of this ever happened. I truly would not put it past him, though. I truly, it's weird because not the specific, like, sex part of it. I think the idea of creating another category for women might have been in there where he's trying to figure out because they have the Aaronic priesthood and they have the Melchizedek priesthood and he wonders, like, maybe we could also do this other subdivision that we could do on this side and then I can even do more weird stats to keep people fucking in game, more spiritual Sky Miles. I think he talked about it. I think he definitely played around with the idea. But with as many ex-Mormons as there were around this time, if anyone would have been a part of this, they would have told. Yeah. Like, they, it would have, they, there would have been multiple people uh, that would have been able to confirm this. But yeah. as it was, it was only Bennett saying that all this shit was true. But nevertheless, the damage was done. Joseph Smith and the Mormons were now inextricably linked to polygamy forever and Always. And Joseph Smith's star as a kooky religious frontier curiosity began to fall. And all of these problems may be why Joseph Smith started thinking of a way to come back with something big for his own people. You gotta get a get. It's very possible that Joseph used this as an opportunity to wag the dog. Now, we don't know for sure if Joseph Smith gave this order, but around the time that the polygamy story broke... Joseph Smith's personal bodyguard, Porter Rockwell, shot the hated Missouri governor, Lilburn Boggs, three times in the head. Whoa! Now, to the Mormons, this was both heartwarming revenge and the fulfillment of a prophecy. Because after Lilburn Boggs had terrorized the Mormons with an extinction order, Smith had prophesied that Boggs would die within a year. Mm. Didn't seem to matter that it was most likely that Joseph Smith had fulfilled that prophecy himself by ordering the assassination of a government official out of either delayed revenge or hopeful 
distraction. Although we don't know for sure if Joe, it's, to be 100% fair, we don't know for sure that Joseph Smith ordered this or if Porter Rockwell was just acting on his own. Well, Porter Rockwell, he ended up escaping from jail and he would go on forever and saying bragging about how he shot Lilburn Boggs mm-hmm. on the word of Joseph Smith. I don't know if it's true or not. Joseph Smith said equivocally, no, I would never do something like that. Never, never. Right. But I do think it makes a lot of sense. It's it's he, a it's a little bit kind of like cousin Eddie in uh, Christmas Vacation. <laughs> Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase I just, certainly wish that someone would go and shoot that governor three times in the head. <laughs> oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, sure you'll do it, Porter. Sure you'll do it. <laughs> but either way, whether Joseph ordered it or not, it seemed like once again his prophecy had come true. But even though Boggs was shot three times in the head, he survived. It's a big head. Yeah. <laughs> And he soon swore an affidavit charging Joseph Smith with being an accessory before the fact on the attempted murder. It is very it is very coincidental that it it would be Porter Rockwell. Yeah. And that it would. So that's the one that's that funny thing about history. It's kind of like what it's like when you talk about any sort of conspiracy theory is that when these things kind of show up like the little tethers, the little strings that could possibly show that Joseph Smith ordered a hit of a governor. Mm-hmm. It's hard to not say, like, it fits. The shoe fits. It, the shoe does fit, but, you know, you know we don't have proof no. that he wore the shoe. Marcus. Which, is, which is in the nebulous area is actually more even more powerful than evidence Mar- because then it can always be used. Yes. Marcus, what is this? What What is this term? I'm, I'm, I really want you to say this term. What is this term? What term? What, in this situation, who benefits Qui bono! Qui bono! <laughs> I believe qui bono is afoot! <laughs> so, to escape extradition, Joseph went into exile and briefly considered pulling up stakes on the whole operation for a fifth time and moving the Mormons to Wisconsin. You're welcome. I hope you like cheese. <laughs> they did a lot of work on Navu. Yeah. Like, this was so, this kind of pullout would be very, very intense. I don't know if he would have flipped it a fifth time. I think that this time, like, it was very, and he saw the writing on the wall, especially because if he's making these kind of money moves, if he really is trying to put it, if this is true and he's trying to put a head on the, on the governor, Joseph Smith is starting to understand we need to stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to do yeah. this and being like, it is my way or the fucking highway. I am God. I am, I can choose who live or die. You're not going to fucking chase me out of my home. Well, after another of Emma's children died during childbirth, number five by my count, Joseph turned himself in and threw himself on the mercy of the court. Luckily for him, though, the judge was pro-Mormon and a fierce proponent of states' rights. So the extradition order to Missouri from Illinois was denied, and Joseph went free. And not too long after all that, after a probable assassination attempt on a government official, Joseph Smith ran for president. How'd he do? Uh, He lost to, to Polk, James K. Polk. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Smith saw that politicians regularly courted the Mormons for the large block of votes that they could deliver. That's part of how they were able to settle in Nauvoo because they had just been because back then it was Whigs and Democrats and that Lilburn Boggs was a Whig. So when all of the Mormons moved to Illinois, the local Whig courted them by saying, like, hey, not all Whigs are like that. Not all Whigs are bad. Please keep voting Whig. You're Whig. Come on. We love Whigs. Come on. Let's do it. And so they would often, you know. 
Joseph Smith became a bit of a power broker. Mm, so they went on the apology tour like Domino's did, and now Domino's is fairly tasty. Yeah. <laughs> but he had to go, and that's why he fucking was pumping the numbers. Because not only did they need bodies to build Nauvoo, to do all of the kind of the infrastructural things, to, to make the to farm the lands, to make the goods that they can sell in order to get money, but this also gave him, like, you become too big to fail. Yeah. Because you become this group where it's like, now they do what I tell them to do, and they vote for who I tell them to vote for, so what I can do is I can sway, sway these local elections. But... What I need to do is get myself at the national fucking dip. I need to get myself at the national floor. Yeah, he just wanted to be on the national stage. Mm-hmm. He ran for president for the publicity. See, Joseph had always thought that the best form of government was a theocracy, and he figured who better to be president of the United States than the originator of the American religion, at least in theory, because Joseph knew that he didn't have a chance in hell to win. But he'd already been looking into the possibility of Mormon sovereignty. Mm. And if he ran for president, that eventuality would not seem so strange when the time came. It sends a chill up my spine because this shit has always been this way. People who run for president on just trying to get the fucking the likes, just trying to get the notice, trying to get all the fame points because he, he wants to build his name. And because it's like, what if he did win? <laughs> like, what, if, what if he yeah. did go all the way? We'd be fucked. It would have been a different country. So, in early 1844, Smith organized a secret council of 50, quote-unquote, princes, whose first act was to crown Joseph as the king of the kingdom of God. Oh. After that, he sent the first expedition of men west beyond the borders of America to find a place where that king might rule. Yeah, this shit's getting fucking real. Yeah. Once he starts this talk, this is really... He is, but this is where my estimation is that he, he's becoming a very dangerous person. <coughs> possibly. I, quite possibly. He might be becoming a very dangerous person, but I think more than likely he was going to eventually move across the border. Like he was not, I don't think he was going to, I don't think he was going to risk a fight with the United States government because he knew that he couldn't even handle a Missouri militia. Like those people wiped them out. I mean, you think he's honestly going to be able to go against the fucking union? The numbers are bigger than ever at this point. 50, if you but be- that's not that many people. But it starts at 15,000. Remember, he's young. Yeah. He doesn't know what's going to happen is going to happen to him. So this shit, like, he could triple that. But I think in this, like, in this action of, like, sending people out west, because he was sending people to California and uh, the Pacific Northwest, like, because all that was still Mexico at yeah, this time. Yeah, so he's time. going to further isolation. Yes, he's going to, he is already making plans for, like, further isolation. Like we are going, but he needs that clout. Like he needs that clout for the, when the time comes, when America swallows up the rest of the continent, like he needs to have the clout to be able to say like, Hey, I've already got this thing going here. Like, don't fuck with me. Like I am a known figure in America as having sovereignty. So don't fuck with me. We just have to get rid of the pesky people already living there. (laughs) Yeah. Or convert them. But even though Joseph was only running for president for publicity, there were many Americans who saw a potential theocratic president as a very real threat to the separation of church and state Mm -hmm. and therefore these United States. What was more, the Masons had heard that Smith was using their most secret and sacred rituals in his new religion and was currently telling any Mormon who came through the temple all about their secret under penalty of death rituals. But worst of all, a lot of Mormons within Nauvoo were starting to get sick of Joseph Smith's shit. 
See, when Joseph got in trouble for fucking, he employed the age-old tactic of whataboutism and started naming trusted friends as debauchers. Mm. You think I'm bad? You should see what Sidney Rigdon gets up to. Right? Elix buttholes! Yes, that's not good. <laughs> Even worse, men who were opposed to polygamy were being forced to marry their daughters to Joseph specifically or risk excommunication. Mm. And Joseph kept asking for more free land from his landowning Mormons to settle the now 15,000 Mormons that lived in Nauvoo because so many people were coming over from England. And Joseph Smith kept saying, like, okay, we got another 40 coming today. We've got another 50. We've got to put these people somewhere. You're going to give me your land. And that's just what's going to happen now. Mm. There's also a part of me that think that he kind of becomes this is the line where he's kind of becoming like God Emperor of Dune where he's, <laughs> when you have more and more of these wives, right? Because you're bringing with them, you're bringing them to the afterlife. And he is keeps saying that this is going to help in your exaltation, arriving with these many celestial marriages. Each offspring, I have spiritual offspring with each one of these spiritual wives I will have after this, creates a new plan it, a new place that increases Mormonism throughout the multiverse. And so there's a thing inside of him where I do, I do believe he saw, he started believing his own shit, and he saw Highway to becoming Elohim, mm. where he's like, I am going to not just be the prophet. I'm going to be the new arm of God. Yeah. I'm going to use all of this new physical clout, and when it goes to fucking heaven, it becomes spiritual clout, and I'm going to fucking cash it out and be president of the universe. All yeah. I know is my mom has a star. And if that motherfucker tries to invade her star planet, <laughs> then we're going to have a real fight because you don't mess with the Kissels. Well, there were a lot of men uh, in Nauvoo that just couldn't take it. Problem was, though, they didn't leave Nauvoo, meaning there were now fierce ex-Mormons living amongst the Mormons. Ooh. And some of those ex-Mormons started a newspaper. This is kind of like how you live with your ex for six months. And that, and that was only six months. No, I just lived in my room and pissed in Gatorade bottles. Cool. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> Did you but start I... a newspaper? Did you start your own zine? Like an anti-ex-girlfriend zine that you would put out from underneath the door for anyone who will read? And then he would just have to take it back in himself and read it. I'm the publisher and the reader. <laughs> well, that newspaper was called the Nauvoo Expositor. And in May of 1844... It published its only issue, which is a full expose on what went on in Joseph Smith's pantaloons. The story detailed seductions. It completely exposed the polygamy revelation, and it confirmed the rumors of Joseph's many wives. Because at this point, even a lot of Mormons didn't know about polygamy. Mm. Even the people within the religion did not know that polygamy was a big part of it or that Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and Parley Pratt and all these people up top were practice, practicing it. Mm. So this is a huge revelation. And when shit like this came from the outside, Joseph, he was always able to get ahead of the story and he could squash it from the pulpit. But these accusations were coming from neighbors. These were coming from people who were respected and trusted members of the community. Now, Smith knew that he'd fucked up with polygamy. He told a friend that polygamy would be the Mormon's destruction, that he had been deceived by the devil, that polygamy was a curse, and that they would have to leave the country if the story wasn't put to bed. This is why it's, I said this to myself and I should have listened to my own advice. It's always important to jerk off before revelation. <laughs> yes, so Jeff. that you can clear your mind because now, I mean, like, I am 
empty. I, I couldn't come. <laughs> I couldn't come with a rocket up my ass and, and five women sucking on my feet. Right. So <laughs> I have made a boo boo. <laughs> but in trying to crush the story, Joseph Smith made his last mistake. He gathered a legion of men, marched to the offices of the expositor, burned every issue, and destroyed the printing press. Afterwards, the apostates who had printed the story fled town and reported the crimes to the nearby Warsaw Signal. And this is the funny thing about the Joseph Smith story. He could take multiple wives. He could manipulate people into giving him their land and savings. He could seduce underage girls. He could even attempt to assassinate a government official. But fucking with the free press, that's going too far. America! Oh, America! <laughs> Got your head in grease, homie! <laughs> so after the Warsaw Signal published the accusations, mobs from Missouri and Iowa crossed the Mississippi River with the express purpose of stringing up Joseph Smith once and for all. Knowing that he'd fucked up for the last time, Joseph sent his family away with a group of bodyguards and fled to Carthage with his brother Hiram, where they were both arrested on riot charges for the destruction of the expositor. I'll tell you what, fucking Joe, there's nobody I'd rather fucking be in a fucking jail cell with than you, my fucking brother. (laughs) This is fucking cool, right? Shut up. (laughs) And Joseph resigned to his fate, knowing that he probably wasn't going to get out of this one, requested a big old bottle of wine and had one more drink with his brother before the mob came for him one last time. Now, it's believed that the governor of the state, Governor Ford, gave the state militia tacit permission to do what they did in order to prevent another Mormon war. But either way, 100 Carthage Greys appeared outside the doors of the jailhouse where Joseph and Hiram were being held. They burst into the jail and ran up the stairs to Joseph's cell, shooting anyone who got in their way. But somehow the other Mormons held with Joseph and Hiram had smuggled in guns. So Joseph was given a six-shooter while Hiram got a single-shot pistol. But it wasn't anywhere near enough. You mean the dookie guns weren't enough? (laughs) (laughs) The militia kicked in the door to the cell and killed Hiram first, hitting him four times in the torso, shin, thigh, and face. Joseph, though, was unhurt, so he emptied his six-shooter into the hallway and made towards a window. But as he got one leg over the windowsill and raised his arms in the Masonic signal for distress... Which is exactly what you think it is. It literally is just your your hands and right ankles going, ah! <laughs> he was hit by a hail of musket balls to the hip, chest, and shoulder. And as Joseph fell from the window, his last words were, Oh, Lord! My God! And he hit the ground hard on his left side and momentarily managed to sit up against the curb but his wounds were far too much to bear, and the American prophet expired right there in the gutter. Following Smith's death, a new ritual was added to the endowment. From 1845 until 1930, Mormons swore an oath of vengeance called the Blood Atonement, in which each and every Mormon swore to avenge the assassination of Joseph Smith. This oath applied to apostates, anti-Mormons, adulterers, and thieves, and the oath clearly stated that the only way to save those who were lost 
was to end their lives on earth and give them a chance at redemption. It's giving them a chance! A chance! And nobody was a bigger believer in the oath of vengeance than Brigham Young, Mormonism's dirtiest, weirdest, most violent, shit-obsessed leader, <laughs> whom we'll cover in depth on part five of Mormonism. All right, Dude. there it is, Mormonism, part four, unbelievable. And there is a little quote I want to read from Joseph Smith that comes from his King Fola discourse, which is one of the last recorded sermons he gave about two months before he died, which is an examination of basically his Kabbalistic teachings, if you read into it. But what he said, if we start right, it is easy to go right all the time. But if we start wrong, we may go wrong, and it will be a hard matter to get right. Which is from now on. Very interesting. It is literally what we're going to see, how the, the fucking oath of vengeance is go- and all of the different little mechanisms that are inside just the very beginnings of Mormonism are what's going to allow it to blossom into later true crime stories after we cover what Brigham Young, fucking this fucking character. Jesus Christ. I mean, because what Joseph Smith, the difference between Joseph Smith and Brigham Young uh, is that Joseph Smith... Uh, was still living in America. Like, Joseph Smith thought that he was a king. Uh, he thought it was, like, a wonderful theocratic society. It was yeah. still very much—it was still very magical, still very uh, idealistic and right-hand-pathy. Uh, Brigham Young was a fucking dictator. Well, we will get to Brigham Young on the next episode. Cannot wait. The next episode about Mormonism, uh, that is. We Do we want to make this little announcement? Because we, we are on the road right now in Europe, and also we want to thank everyone who's come out to our live shows in Dublin, in uh, Edinburgh, Birmingham was amazing. Manchester we shared the stage awesome. with Black Sabbath. They weren't they weren't there at the time, but you can <laughs> see the puddles of Ozzy's pee. You can see it. Like literally, we got to perform on the same <laughs> stage that Ozzy Osbourne performed at in Birmingham, which was like an unreal dream come true. So cool. Bristol was great. Thanks to everyone who came out in Bristol. This has been a fantastic fucking run. But because of uh, the fact that we're still on tour, next week's episode we are going to do a relaxed fit episode because. If we wouldn't do that, you just wouldn't get the same sound quality, and it just would not be up to snuff for us. And this Mormonism series is... It's not even sound quality. It is the quality of research that it takes to go... It's how much research has to go into these episodes. We cannot put the amount of research that we need to put into it while we're going from London to Stockholm to Berlin. Marcus and I have put a lot of... I mean, like, not that Kissel hasn't. (laughs) I do my own kind of research. (laughs) No, you're doing good. You're doing good. But we we have really been busting our ass on this series. It's been a wonderful series. We're already at four different source materials, uh, and we have been kind of scouring the internet and doing all, doing as much as we can, speaking with ex-Mormons. And so this is a, we are really trying to lay this series out as thick as humanly possible. And this next episode and the next two are very, very important for us to land yes, correctly. Yeah. absolutely. So what we want to do is that for next week for the Relax Fit, we've had some people reach out and say they wanted us to do like a Q&A type show. Right. And what we want to say is like you send in questions and you've been dying to ask. And I mean this. It's like I really want to do like an almost an AMA where you guys send things that you've been really curious about about the show, uh, about various topics, 
things that you want to yell at us about, things that you want to, like, uh, like all of that kind of And we're going to address as many of them as possible yes. in a Q&A relax fit. Absolutely. So email sidestories, L-P-O-T-L, at gmail.com. Put in the subject relaxed fit Q&A, uh, and we will look at as many as we can. And I think it'll be wonderful. We haven't done that in a very long time on Side Stories. Occasionally yeah. we read emails, uh, but rarely are they in the form of a question. So, yes, if you have some thoughts on your on your mind that you wanted to ask us, it can be about podcasting. It can be about a subject that we've covered in the past. Uh, it can be about our friendship. It really, we're, we're open. So mm-hmm. uh, we are excited to speak with you uh, in that direction on next week's episode. And this is all to ensure that the Mormonism series, as, as it will live forever, will live as great as possible. And I also want to give extreme extra special thanks to research assistants Rachel Shu and Joel McKean, who have been going above and beyond on these last four parts with helping us out and for all the work that they've already done on the episodes to come. They've been doing absolutely fantastic on this episode. Thank you all so much uh, for your help on this one. And our goal is because we're inserting Relax Fit next week, we're not going to insert another Relax Fit after Mormonism is complete. We will move on to a next topic we already have it lined up, which is we have a very fun UFO story and we have a serial killer that we've been asked to cover many, many times that is also in the pipeline immediately following. So don't worry. More content is coming. The content. The content (laughs) never ends. Thank you all so much for supporting the entire Last Podcast Network. We absolutely, uh, without you, we don't exist. We're DIY as always. So we shall see you in Berlin. We will see you in Stockholm. And we have one more show in London as well. So we cannot wait to see you in those wonderful places. Never forget, folks, no matter what you're going through, hail yourselves! Hail Satan! Hail again! Magoostillations! Hail me! I mean, Joseph Smith was not wrong in many ways in terms of, I mean, like, he's a go-getter. He's a go-getter. I think he was wrong in many ways, though. He's a dead go-getter. Isn't it weird, though? I like the underwear better now. Because I, I used to joke about it. I didn't realize it was the full body undies. No, it's great. I Seriously, I had like... Yeah, I do too. Mine are camo. No, I had the actual the real Mormon underwear that I found like an old thrift store. And I wore them like every single day in the winter for like, I don't know, my first 10 winters in New York City. And honestly, when you think about it, they were in Illinois. That's just out of necessity. Mm-hmm. It's fucking freezing. Y'all going to hell. <gasps> <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM.